Hey everybody, welcome to Top 5 Movies. This is John Burke, here with Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And Michael Sanchez. Hello. And we are here to bring you another episode of Top 5 Movies. Um, This week's topic, dark comedies, um, also sometimes called black comedies. And uh, this is movies that are funny, but they make fun of things that usually we wouldn't want to make jokes about, like war, crime, death, uh, mental illness, that kind of thing. And... um, you know, sometimes they're some of the funniest movies, and in fact, there were several that I came across that I didn't even know were considered to be black comedies. But before we get into our list, uh, we've all seen a few movies this weekend. Um, we've been this is the most active the trio has been in the theater, I think, in a long time. So, um, Corey got to see a film that I really want to see, but I don't think it's playing anywhere near me. Uh, what'd you get to see, Corey? Guys, I was pretty excited it was playing. And I just feel like I should tell everyone what a bad wife I am because I'm a big fan of a movie that's based off of another of this author's books. And I purposely did not tell my husband because he hates that movie. But I got to see Wilson with Woody Harrelson. Laura Dern and Laura Dern. Let's not forget the awesome. Yeah, Laura Dern. Mm -hmm. There there were a few people. um, Judy Greer, and I'm forgetting the other lady right now, but she was in The Riches. We've seen her in something else recently. But I was kind of surprised by the cast because I didn't realize who all was going to be in it. Yep, and the, uh, the graphic novel that you mentioned is the same writer who did Ghost World. Yes. Daniel Close, yeah? Close, yes. Um, so did you like it? I enjoyed it a lot. Um... I saw, I haven't like looked into a lot about the movie, um, but I did see a lot of similar, I guess, filming techniques from Ghost World. I think that, like, I own the graphic novel for Ghost World. I've like flipped through it, but I haven't been able to read it. And I felt like they did a pretty good job taking his artwork in the book and putting it on the screen. I don't own Wilson. I will probably purchase it. But um, I feel like that is probably the case here, too, um, because I saw a lot of kind of similarities. Well, now you mentioned probably. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was thinking probably they, if they follow the graphic novel, it's, you know, he probably has got it kind of storyboard. And I don't know how involved Daniel Close was in it. I figured he was definitely with Ghost World, which mm-hmm. I, I missed. It was on one of the channels the other day. I just, the kids aren't ready for that yet. Uh, and it's not even the same director. That's what I was wondering. It's not, but who... it is the director um, that his name is uh, Craig Johnson, who did Skeleton Twins, which I know, Corey, is a movie you're a fan of. I love that movie. So see, you got to start paying attention to who the directors are. But yeah, oh, yeah. Mike. I, well, I didn't realize this movie was coming out so soon. Mm. I remember that we talked about it and then I kind of forgot about it because we talked about the graphic novels and then. I haven't been able to get to the movies in a while, and I was like, I'm going to a movie this weekend, and I saw that was playing. I know, though. No, no. Um, no, not at all. Daniel Close is credited as the screenplay writer, though, so he definitely had so that, impact. Yeah, had some involvement. Um, that's one I really want to see. Uh, I'm a big Woody Harrelson fan. Um, critics are split on it right now. It's at a 50 on Metacritic, so, um, or its Metascore is 50, so uh, critics are, like, some love it, some dislike it. Um it's one though that I think will be right up my alley. It's the type of movie that I generally get get into. Um, you know, I, I hope it's it's good. But um, I saw uh, three movies this weekend, which is my usual goal because three movies came out. My goal is to see 
all of the wide releases that are around me. So um, I saw Power Rangers on Thursday night, uh, which Mike then saw on Saturday. Um, yeah. Did not see that one together, but we both saw it. Uh, I like Power Rangers quite you, a bit. You you got to miss me pulling the the old man voice. I I told three kids to shut up. Oh, because they wouldn't. Oh. Five minutes in. Nice, five dude. Minutes in. Good for you. Because I was like, I was like, guys, that's enough. Shut up. Did they and shut I, up? I, I, they did. They started to whisper. Oh, okay. They had gotten back because they were literally having. They, and what I mean by whisper is like I I could I had to really listen for them. But at that, prior to that, it was talking as if they were in their living room. And I gotta be honest, it, <sighs> it, I, you, it's not safe to do that anymore. But I, I'd had it. I, I didn't yeah. pay to, to hear them. I did not pay to hear them. I completely understand what you mean by both of those statements. That one, it's not safe because you never know what someone's gonna do in reaction. They're clearly mm-hmm. in the wrong, and yet they're going to lash out at you. And then, um, yeah, it, it's happening more and more. Um, like. There were a few moments during my showing of the Power Rangers because I went at uh, 9.55 on Thursday night. And that's that our theater doesn't usually do late shows like that. But because it was spring break for us, they had one. And I was expecting it to be pretty empty, and it wasn't. Um, and then people sat behind me. They weren't <laughs> talking the whole time, but they, whenever they did speak, they spoke way too loudly. Um, and it was always mm-hmm. quick and short. It was never like long. So I never had a chance to say anything because it ended before I could have even reacted. But I did give him a couple of like stern looks, like when I'd hear it, like I'd turn back real quick. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> Just like, come on now, like that's unnecessary. So, but I think that that's all three of us kind of having to whatever in the past month or so, because yeah, it's just be quiet. Well, it's just, you know, we're film people and not everybody that goes to the theater are film people. Like some, uh, it's strictly entertainment and they find themselves more amusing than the movies that they're paying to see. Um, some are just going to the movies for something to do because there's nothing to do in Lake Wales. Um, and so they don't care about the experience and they definitely don't care about anybody else. And then, um, I think some people just like to stir trouble and they know that what an easy place to upset people is to go to a movie and talk junk. Um, it's almost like, you know, I wish someone would say something to me so that they can start trouble. Um, which is why Mike's point is very accurate. It's not safe because he he lucked out there that those people weren't trying to be rude. They're just not. They're being rude. They were socially inept. Yes, is and really what they were, and they were no with no parents. And see, that's the thing. This is not high art, and not to take away because I enjoyed Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, um, and I'm not a Power Rangers fanboy. As my my son watched some of the shows. We have two, both of the older. You know, Power, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, and Turbo, and we have that and whatnot. Um, but you know, there it's still. I I paid for the film. I I, I didn't. I, and I I as much as the other person can appreciate Mystery Science Theater three thousand mm-hmm. and riffing it. That was not the time. Yeah, and no. they weren't necessarily riffing. They were like asking out loud stuff that you know, if you would shut up and watch the movie, <laughs> you would know. You would see it. Yep. Or yep. let the movie play out your questions will be answered and in any case well if they had pushed it i would have calmly left and gotten someone yeah other than myself at that point yeah and i even even and the other thing of it too after, after i said i told my son i said john i don't normally do that i can count on one hand the times i've done it and it's just they weren't stopping and he's like yeah and he knows how at home we watch movies differently yeah it's different if, because it's a different same thing as if it was in the classroom versus you know what i mean yeah you know well, so. that's 
in my classroom because we are I, we are a film class. We have a, I had to make rules last year um, mm-hmm. that we just call movie etiquette. So now, like whenever we start a movie, all I do is remind them remember movie etiquette, and that's that's yep. it. That's the cue. They know to shut up. Like there's a few kids who I won't lie. They they put their head down way too soon. You know they don't even try on the movie or whatever. But now I'll get them up throughout the film. But at the same time, they're not talking and they're not being disruptive. Yeah. Because yeah. like with some of my younger classes, uh, it can be a problem. Like there's a, there's one class in particular that can't control themselves uh, with speaking. Yet when they're talking about the movie, I have a, a hard time shutting it down. Like sometimes I'm like, you know what? They're engaged. I'd rather them be yeah talking about it, even if they're complaining because they're they're nitpicking it. And they're at least watching it. They're not like you know looking off at the wall or zoning out or on their phone. They're watching it. They may not be enjoying it. And they may be talking instead of paying attention, which is probably why they're not enjoying it. But at least they're talking about it. And so I've let that slide sometimes. But again, different environment than a theater. You were there with your friends. Great. But now is not the time to discuss your opinions. Um, <laughs> moving on. Mike and I went and saw Life together on Friday because, again, we were on spring break. And our uh, our children were out, off at the beach with a youth group thing, um, so which whew, that turned out they, they didn't even get home. <laughs> they had a journey. Late. They had a movie type experience because they were only at the beach for a couple hours, but on their way home they had a flat tire and that uh, grounded them for like two extra hours. So they they was a much longer day than it was supposed to be for them. Well, and the other part is I didn't realize because I think that the tread just shredded off. I think it was like a dry rot. Oh wow! And where it happened, the Taylor, the, the, the it was right on, right on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. I mean, they were so fortunate. The person, because I guess there was someone they didn't even know, had traffic stopped for them because you oh, know wow. people the way they are again, not uh, film etiquette, but uh, driving etiquette. Yeah, I don't think that they they would have been stuck. And um, he even got them to the tire place and. Just uh, talk about a good Samaritan. Yeah, I mean, just and they had to drive on a bad tire because they didn't have mm-hmm. a, uh, a donut. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little scary. Well, and I think it was a double tire in the back. So oh, yeah, they, it wouldn't have uh, mattered. Just thankful that you know that could have been bad, and it wasn't mm-hmm. thankfully. Yep, yep. So. It, but we saw life, which uh, could have been bad, but it wasn't. So that worked out twice uh, that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could have been way worse than it, it is. It's not. It's not bad. I actually, I, I would say, I enjoyed it. Um, for the most part, it felt longer than it is. That's that's an unusual statement. It's an hour and forty minutes, but it felt like it was at two hours or a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was fine. Nothing spectacular. Nothing new or really innovative to it. Um, the only thing I would say that's different is most sci-fi films like this are not set so close to Earth. Um, true. Uh, true. And well, I think that's that adds to that other part of it, which we don't want to mm-hmm. spoil it too much. Um, well, uh, well, we say that, but you know, I think it. To me, it was not only an amalgamation of Alien and Gravity because definitely. I definitely felt that vibe. Yeah. But I'm thinking uh, more like Deep Star Six, Leviathan. You know what I mean? Or even Sphere a little bit, and where those are all set on Earth and, or Virus. Do you guys remember Virus? Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, no. I I actually have not seen any of the movies you just listed. <laughs> I know, I'm just, like, being quiet, and I'm like, uh... Oh, well, I mean, just, it's it's very much a throw, it's almost like a nod, an updated nod to all of those. Okay. And if you can think about it, I mean, all of those are the same general, pre- you know, we kind of tinker around with stuff we sh- that we shouldn't and maybe should have left well enough alone and, you know, there's our problem. Which is, I think it's a theme that's worth exploring in movies, um, it just... 
you know, and again, that's why it's not a bad movie, and it's well acted. Um, it's I found it intense at times. Um, mm-hmm. There's one particular. Uh, I'm, it's not a spoiler. I'm not gonna say who dies, but it's very clear in a movie like that people are gonna die, right? Like I don't think that's a spoiler, but there's one death that in particular I found very very hard to watch, and like I was like squirming in my seat um, with like oh. a, like fear about it. Like I was like, oh oh man. Um, I won't say which one or what or whatnot, but uh, there was. Was it the first one? The first death? It wasn't. Um, although that one bothered me. Oh, okay. It was the. Yeah, that was bothersome to me. I think it was the second one. Um, I'm trying to think number wise. I'm pretty sure it was the second one. Um, that should uh, elicit more memories of gravity because of where it takes place. But um, that there was just a part. I, I'll talk off mic with that one. But um, and then today I went and saw Chips, um, which Chips is interesting. Um, it is a it is a movie remake. It's the whole motivation for our topic from last week, and I found it very engaging. And at the end, I felt content, like I had seen a decent movie. And over the last five hours, um, I have convinced myself that it is a very good movie at tricking people into thinking it's a good movie if you don't analyze it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> when you start to look at a lot of the the plot points, make no sense. Some of the jokes they had to defy logic in order to make the joke even possible. One in particular, there's a uh, joke with a cell phone um, where it requires them changing an interface that we're all very familiar with. Like if you text somebody you have programmed in your phone, at the top of the screen it tells you who you're talking to. So they just wipe that off. It's just completely clear. So there's no name. There's nothing there. It doesn't say un- you know unlisted or a phone number. It says nothing because the joke wouldn't have worked had it not done that. And it's like, okay, well, when you're when you're using a phone that most people have seen the screen, you can't change something that drastic to make a joke work. Either the joke doesn't work, which it, it wouldn't have um, given the parameters that they'd set forth if they didn't do that change. And even then, it wasn't a surprise. It was very predictable what was going to happen. Still funny, though, because Michael Pena is hilarious. And so Dak Shepard, I didn't know this, though. Uh, Dak Shepard not only is the co-star, but he wrote and directed the film as well. I did not. I did not know that until I just read it just now. Yeah, so and um, I didn't notice it uh, right at the very beginning. They barely had it on the title credits. Like I was like, "Wait, did it just say Dax is the writer and director?" Watched the whole movie, then I looked. I'm like, "Yeah, wow, he wrote and directed." It's again, it's entertaining. I actually found Dax and Michael Pena's chemistry to be very great, and like the bromance between the two, I, I think is what made the movie enjoyable. I think their charisma made the movie that's otherwise bad. Entertaining. I also didn't realize Vincent D'Onofrio was in it um, until. Did not realize that either. Yeah. Uh, any guesses on what kind of character he's playing though? Uh, well, it looks like he was wearing a uniform, so I figured. Well, I mean, good guy, maybe... bad guy, middle ground. Uh, he he's always the heavy, so I figured yeah. that's some. You know, he he doesn't do things lightly, so. And that's not a twist or anything. You know, right from the beginning, he's the bad guy. But I didn't know going into the movie he was in it. And, oh, okay. Um, it's, so it's not a spoiler. Like you first seen, unless you don't know who Vincent D'Onofrio is, um, he is wearing a motorcycle helmet when you first see him. And I'm like, that voice sounds familiar. And then I was like looking at his eyes and went, oh crap, it's D'Onofrio. It's <laughs> like, all right, no idea. Oh, he was were in you this. looking deep into his eyes? Deep into his eyes. I mean, once you've seen Kingpin's eyes, uh, you can never look away. But all right, so. <laughs> Um, of the three movies, I actually think Power Rangers was my favorite of the of the weekend. Um, okay. I think I think I enjoyed watching Chips more than Life, but I think Life is a better movie. But I did have I did have a good time with Chips. I have to admit, even though it's not a good movie, there are tons of like reasons why it's bad, and it is a little slow. It's definitely nowhere near as uh, comically. Um, in fact, 
it's not as fat with comedy as like 21 Jump Street or 22 Jump Street, uh, which is a movie that's definitely going to get compared to because of the TV show to movie adaptation. Yep. But um, it is, well, my it is other entertaining. Question. I'm sorry, I can let you finish. Yeah, I did. It's entertaining. Um, well, my other question was, and I'm guessing now because I'm reading some of the trivia, is I'm guessing there weren't a whole lot of cameos because Eric Estrada called this trash. Is Eric Estrada punch? Yes. Yeah, he's in it. <laughs> is he really? Yeah, so for a really long heart. scene, actually. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. I always look look for that, and I mean, the first trivia line was after the trailer debuted, Eric Estrada, et cetera, et cetera calling the film demeaning and blasted it as pure trash so that he he must have had a change of heart well i can see maybe he hadn't seen a final cut when he agreed to do the film um it's definitely like there's a uh a nudity in the first like 30 seconds of the character introduction for for michael pena's character um so oh, they forced okay. some nudity into the film that didn't need to be there uh I don't remember the show very well, but um, I, I that's do. That's why he's mad. That's why Ponch is mad. He's like, I never got that on the show. Well, maybe because well, they made Ponch into a sex addict essentially. Uh, like, well, no, nah, it's not too far from his character. Exactly. So they, I, from what I, I don't remember, and that is the when he's in the scene, that's kind of the joke that they're making. The two Ponches are together, both being overly sexual. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's you know not sorry if that's a spoiler, but I mean really. Um, it's not a spoiler for the plot. It's just you know a funny moment, I guess. Um, I, I did. I have to say though, I went at the eleven fifty show this morning, and it was full of senior citizens, which I have no problem with. But I was surprised because I knew it was going to be somewhat raunchy, uh, given that it was an R rated comedy. Um, and that's kind of what they did with Twenty One Jump Street. Like it's not super raunchy, but they did up the. Uh, they made it an R movie, you know. And so I was expecting but- that. But those are the folks that were the demographic in of the, the show. 70s. Mm-hmm. So that would be about right. But so my concern was that they weren't going to like what they were seeing, you know. But um, I'll tell you what, when Ponch showed up, they they that was when they got their money's worth. They really reacted like audibly, like the whole room was just like, ah, there he is. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, look at that. There's Ponch, ma. I have to say, too, Ponch looks good for his age, man. Like. Uh, in the movie, like I was like, damn, he doesn't look like he's as old as he has to be, you know. Um, but all right, uh, again, not not a, it's definitely not a good movie. Like if you're talking plot and structure, I did find it entertaining. Um, it's definitely engaging, and there are some cool chase sequences. Um, like uh, it went, again with analysis, it does break down pretty badly. Like there's a lot of stuff wrong with it in terms of plot and structure, and they kind of just made me accept things that when I started thinking like, well, why did this happen? And why does the character have this ability? Like they didn't make him like Dax Shepard's character is like a really good detective apparently, which there's no rhyme or reason for that whatsoever. And they never really like, like he shows that he's got like a really good knack for like picking up on details and and following through with things. And Michael Pena's character kind of reacts like, Oh, what? But then they just kind of accept it. They never talk about like, like there's no explanation for it. He just happens to be good at it apparently. And that's, I think that's a bad sign when the writer uh, is the same person whose character has all these really cool abilities all of a sudden. Like, you're like, oh, you really wanted to make your character awesome, huh? Yeah. Yep, you succeeded. He He's awesome in the world of the film. But when you, again, analyze it with any kind of logic, it's like, oh, none of that none of that works. So, anyways, um, it's, it's entertaining. It's not nearly as good as 21, so don't go in thinking it's going to be like that. It is uh, going to try, and it... Again, I do like Michael Pena quite a bit. Um, I'd love to see him in some more stuff, so I hope he keeps getting work. All right. Let's get into our list for the week. So um, I'm going to be going first this week. Uh, We're doing top five dark comedies. And again, these are movies that uh, deal with um, 
subject matter that's usually considered serious, but it does it in a kind of poking fun at satirical sort of way, depending on the film. And and we need to do two things, right? Or were you going to? Hey. Well, Corey does spoilers. There we go. Okay, guys, we're probably going to ruin some of these movies for you. Some of them might be new, some might be old. You can go to BerkReviews.com and check out our list first, and then come back and give us a listen. Rosebud is a sled. (laughs) What? I I just said Rosebud is a sled. Only film nerds will get it. And it's a cookbook. (laughs) To serve man is a cookbook. Ah. Soylent Green is people. No. Mike, um, you said there were two things. What's the second thing? Yeah, well, how many on my list do you think you're going to know? Oh, this is the new game. This um, is a new test. I'm yes. going to go, I will know, or have, is it no or have seen? Uh, let's say have seen, then. I guess, um, that with thing? this subject, I'm going to say I will have seen two of your movies. Two of your five. I'm shooting low. I'm going to say one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm curious. Okay. So I'm going to start us off this week. And I'm I'm not going back very far. I'm going to go to 2016 for my first movie. My number five uh, dark comedy is from 2016, and it's Swiss Army Man. Um, Swiss Army Man is the better version of Weekend at Bernie's. Um, if you've seen Weekend at Bernie's, it is a corpse and two guys, uh, you know, living the weekend with the corpse, uh, trying to pass him off as a living guy. Um, Swiss Army Man, the corpse is kind of alive, but we're not really sure. But it stars Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Um, the corpse farts, he gets erections, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. It is definitely a dark comedy in a lot of ways. One, because we're laughing at a corpse. Daniel Radcliffe's character is making jokes and being funny, but he's a corpse. He's not a zombie. He's a corpse that somehow reanimated slightly. Um, and he never fully reanimates, so he's always, you know, a a lifeless corpse. (laughs) Um, but it is... I found the movie to be uh, not only gorgeous, original, the soundtrack is fantastic and it's it's influence into the film itself. Um, the pop cultural references I love. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in it on top of Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano being in the film who are two actors that I've become very big fans of. Um, I enjoyed, I think, every second of it at the theater. Um, I did get lucky enough that it came to a theater close by and... It's one of those movies where um, I think it's going to be very polarizing. I think you're either going to love it, like I did, or you will probably hate it, um, especially if, if Farting Corpses immediately thinks, you know, oh, that's silly. And, and yes, it is, but it is, um, it's hilarious. Uh, not because he's farting so much, it's just the, like, because it's not just the farts that are funny. It's, it's the compass. Yeah, it's it's everything. Oh, um, and even the, the farts, it's not just a fart and like, oh, you farted. It's the farts become a jet ski. Like it's that kind They're of, yeah, it, it's more than just a fart. That's funny. It's the, what they go to the extremes that they go. It's even funny because Paul Dano laughs the first time he farts because he's just like, you know, marooned on an island. Um, but then it gets into some really dark subject matter in the film. Um, and even some of the, the things that are never a hundred percent clarified, what it alludes to that, um, you know, the idea that Paul Dano was never stranded on an island, that he was actually just living in the woods behind this woman's house that he was obsessed with. Um, while it's not 100% verified, it is definitely heavily implied at the end and can be interpreted as that, um, that the whole thing was all in his head. And yet, they leave us wondering because there's some magic at the end when the corpse farts itself away and, and other <laughs> people see it. So it's all of a sudden like, wait a minute, was he dreaming or was it real? And it's it's just... It's a movie that I've I only got to see once, and this I think on the list it's the only film I've only seen one time. 
but I loved it enough that I was I've been actively looking to buy it, and I finally was able to snag it on um, Vudu, even though. It's available right now to stream for free on Amazon Prime, um, or at least it was. I haven't checked, but they have a lot of great movies from 2016, um, independent films particularly, uh, on Amazon right now, including um, this one. So, And Green Room and 10 Cloverfield Lane, two other movies that are not dark comedies that I really think everyone should see on Amazon Prime. Please watch them. Make indie movies uh, a priority because a lot of them are far superior to what you're getting at your local theaters. I was just recommending Green Room to someone else just today on Facebook. Yeah, Green Room has ruined every other suspense thriller for me because I always compare it to Green Room, and I don't think I've ever been on the edge of my seat as much as I was in Green Room. Like, yep. he built oh, yeah. the best tension. I mean, I could probably say that's an overstatement. I mean, Hitchcock is the master of suspense, but Saulnier has studied Hitchcock for sure because that dude knows how to build suspense. Um and yeah, uh, Green Room, if you have not seen it, please, please see it. And if anything I said about Swiss Army Man is appealing, you should watch it. Um, Corey, I know you've seen it. Mike, have you seen Swiss Army Man? Yes, yes. I, um, I can't remember if we talked about it. I think we might have briefly discussed it. I, I know I did a, a little, you know, a little blurb on my Instagram about it with a little kind of throwaway lines because it's one of those, it's, it's one of those... Many, many great, no gray area films. You're, you'll either really love it or truly loathe it. And I really got into it. Mm. Um, and you're, uh, I didn't initially consider it. I'm like, oh, okay, but that makes sense. I mean, it does. You're, you don't really know. And I honestly, it's one of those that I did not read spoilers mm. ahead of time. And you don't know what you're getting into. And then you do see what you're getting into. And it's very, it's not quite like anything. There's nothing, you know, uh, that you could quite compare it to. Well, uh, what would we say that you could kind of say it's a castaway, which again came up over the weekend. Yep. Uh, on serious, uh, I don't know, peyote. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I mean, the 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 film opens up. If anyone's disputing the idea of it being a dark comedy, it opens up with Paul Dano's character about to commit suicide which ends in a comedic way as the rope breaks um, and or something. Oh, see, trips. see, just like in Castaway. Yeah, and then um, Daniel Radcliffe's character being a corpse that you know comes back to life and he wants to uh, experience life again. Um, and, and then the dark theme of uh, this guy being obsessed with a woman he's never spoken to, um, just seen her on the bus, and kind of the, uh, the stalker um, mentality that he apparently has, even though it's not clear at first, um, and his life falling apart. I mean, the themes that the film plays on are very, very serious and dramatic, yet it's all presented through this comedic lens that is, uh, again, if it finds you, if it if it's the right type of comedy for you, it, you'll enjoy it thoroughly. And if it's not, you'll probably hate it. And that's sad because, you know, I, I don't know. I laugh at a lot of, like, serious things. Not, not at inappropriate times, but, you know, sometimes I think it's healthy to laugh at the things that scare us or... Um, are hard to deal with. Like, death is a a scary topic. It is something that, you know, it's disputed amongst many religions on what happens when we die, and then you have your own personal beliefs you have to weigh into that, and then that that still element of unknowing, um, death is a scary topic. So looking at it through a comedic lens can be kind of, you know, therapeutic in a way. Um, Take, you know, take it down a couple of notches of intensity and, and laugh at it and, you know, Again, there's appropriate times, and I feel like this movie does a good job of bringing it up and, and letting you kind of deal with it to a degree. Mm-hmm. It's a little cathartic experience. 
Now, and I'm happy too because this one, um, I did a lot of research for this because I wanted, you know, this dark comedy is not a official genre. It's not listed on any like you don't go to IMDb and see dark comedy um, in one of the main genres that they will list a film under. So I wanted some verification on do other people think these films are dark comedies and whatnot. Um, this was not one I I did not see on any list, but it was uh, actually two of mine are not on any list that I saw. Um, without doing specific research for this film, like seeing other people refer to this as a dark comedy to kind of just validate my point of view. And so I, I feel like I'm right, but, you know, maybe not. So, and Corey, you're being quiet. So either this is on your list, and if it is... It's not. Okay, good. It's uh, not on my list. Um, I'm surprised that you didn't see it listed other places, though. I enjoyed this movie, but it was deeply disturbing to me <laughs> when... <laughs> no, like most, I love Paul Dano and I love Dano Radcliffe and them together was just perfect. And I loved the music in it. Um, the colors were beautiful, but that part where we find out that he's just been behind this woman's house, it really bothered me <laughs> and I had to really think about it, but you know, <laughs> it's a good movie. Yeah. I mean, it definitely should bother you. It's no, there's no, like at the, that part is where it gets really serious and I think it it it's still was... presented comedically because of the reactions that some of the characters give and stuff but it's definitely uh I think that's the reaction they're going the Daniels who are yeah. the directors um that's what they call themselves the Daniels um they definitely wanted to elicit that reaction I think that kind of like sick to your stomach like oh my god I thought this was something very different than what it is yeah and that I'm not in the love it or the hate it category I loved it and when that Point came in the movie it kind of dialed it back a notch for me um i just i just couldn't i was like whoa wait what you know i like i don't know i i really do love a twist that i don't see coming being pulled yeah. off in a way that especially when it's pulled off i can see that it makes sense like i can see how we got to that logical conclusion i wasn't looking in that direction and that's when a movie really grabs me um we could say that about fight club uh you know even unbreakable more so than six Sense, even though i was not in mike's camp with six Sense, where i didn't see it coming um those are all movies that feature big twists that i really it's what really pulled me into them and made them like long lasting for me because that's you know i i tend to see things coming in movies i you know I, i've watched a lot of films so i i do tend to see where storylines are likely to go if they follow the tropes and then um even i have some ideas if they want to break away from the tropes you know if they want to subvert expectations but then there's the movies like that where they really they they throw a curveball that I wasn't expecting and those stick with me. And I think that while I can understand the feeling, it didn't make it uh, less of an enjoyment for me. It made it more like I was more like, oh, my God, this guy is nuts type of reaction. Um, but I, I definitely understand because it's definitely a, it's a dark reveal. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's still I, I don't know. I want to I've been meaning to rewatch it. I'm going to probably watch it here soon because I just. I need to see it again. I enjoyed it. All right. Um, that's my number five. Uh, Corey, I think you're going second, right? Yeah. And I had a really hard time with this list. Um, a struggle bus. Um, I've been thinking about it since yesterday. Um, and it doesn't usually take me quite this long to come up with a list. And definitely, I don't know if any of mine have won any awards or, you know, been nominated for any. Maybe one or two. But anyways, number five definitely has not. And it's 1991's 
Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Ah. <laughs> um, so I don't remember how old I was when I first saw this film, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I loved Christina Applegate as a kid. I think that most people around our age probably did. They grew up with um, Married with Children. Um, but in this movie, their mom has five kids, and she's going away for like two months during summer on some crazy vacation, and she hires this babysitter that... Seems really nice. You know, all the kids are upset because they didn't think they were going to have a babysitter. And she's evil. Um, But she ends up dying quickly. So instead of calling their mom back, um, Sue Ellen, who is played by Christine Applegate and who is 17, decides to get a job. And she makes up a resume. She ends up being very successful at this job. But she's like stealing money out of the petty cash and doing all these things that she shouldn't be doing for the sake of doing it herself and having that freedom. And it's not even really freedom because she's taking care of all of her siblings and she's having to have a job during the summer. But um, she actually does a really good job at her job and they try to hire her. But just the fact that this old lady dies and that's what propels this whole film. Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, that is a dark element for sure as uh, they don't report it either, right? Like how do they, I don't remember how they deal with the body. Like the... Uh Um, uh, they just shove her in a case or something and put her on uh the like at a funeral home and then they end up finding out sorry go ahead no i said oh i was just go ahead um and then they thought they would live off of the money that their mother had left her to take care of the children with but it was actually on her so (laughs) so that's why she has to get a job uh, I forgot about those parts. Yeah, and and you know? and, and I, I will say I did not forget a very young David Duchovny because he was after her. I did office. forget that. I was just looking at the cast list. I was like, oh man, David Duchovny's in this. Um, oh yeah, he's a total greaseball. Yeah, after the seventeen-year-old. Oh, in the office, yes, and then ah, yeah. uh, and she has like a boyfriend that she meets at a fast food restaurant that she's working at first, and then was- she ends up leaving but was that david spade that ran that one because i thought i ooh, i don't see him or am i getting mixed up am i getting him mixed up with reality bites <clears throat> it might be i don't see him on the cast list but that doesn't okay. mean he might just be david buried spade? um you know there's a few like somewhat familiar names obviously the most famous is christine applegate but um i do remember liking this movie as a kid it's been a long time since i watched it though um I don't. I feel like I, I recently saw a part of it on TV, like maybe within the last five years. But it's been, it's been a while since I've seen it. But I did. I did like this movie when I was a kid. Oh yeah, I, I remember liking this one quite a bit. I mean, I and was Joanna. only nine when I saw it because I saw it at Mugs and Movies. Oh. I think. So <laughs> I was eighteen. Eighteen. Uh-huh. Man. It's okay, Mike. Oh my gosh, Josh <laughs> Charles from Sports Night. Yeah. Yeah, he's one that I recognize as well. Um, I don't remember what he was in the movie, though. I just recognize him um, now. The love interest, I believe. Like her boyfriend? I believe so. Danielle Harris was in it from <laughs> Halloween. Who was her um, brother? Because I remember liking the brother when I was a kid. Uh, he was Keith Coogan, I believe. Kenny. And, yeah, I guess. Oh, and he's in Adventures in Babysitting as well. Yes. That's, man. What happened to that guy? Yeah, it looks look like he up. hasn't done a whole lot. Um, well, he's got 76 titles. No, he was in a couple of things. Holy jeez. Um, he's busy. Must be a character actor. He doesn't. None of these movies are popping out either. Uh, yeah, like there are a lot of B-horror movies like Python, Soul Keeper. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming B-horror movies. They might be great horror movies. Who am I kidding? I don't know. I've never seen them. 
Um, oh, he's in in the army now, <laughs> but he's listed as stoner number one. So that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, How the mighty have fallen, poor guy. Well, uh, you could say the same about Polly Shore now, though. So um, mm, I still love him. The weasel. All right. Well. Uh, good pick, Corey. Uh, one that I didn't even—I don't think I came across looking, uh, doing my research, but that's definitely, um, I think, worthy of the title. Mike, what do you got for number five? And this is a big challenge here. I want to see. I'm hoping I've seen two of your movies this week. All right, yeah, because I put that on my Instagram post. I put your predictions, your Uh-oh. number predictions. <laughs> so um, I'm going with one that is from that. It's the same director as Hudson Hawk. Surprisingly, uh-huh. to me. Um, and he also directed 40 Days and 40 Nights, which I have not watched, but I don't think I'm missing anything. I saw that in the theater, like, opening weekend. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it oh. was it was mediocre. Uh, well, this one we've mentioned before, and it's one of those, well, a couple things with it. It's one of those that Hollywood should never touch and leave alone because it is fine the way this is. Um, and I don't know that it could really be made. Well, you might could. I don't know. Uh, just a subject matter again talking dark comedies uh from 1988 with uh winona ryder and mm-hmm. christian slater i went with heathers mm-hmm. Dang it. Not... wait is this on your list Corey? no oh okay go ahead mike okay well and if you're not familiar with heathers it's got to do well think of because it's funny that mean girls has come up in the last couple of days and i think my daughter had t- told my son that he needs to sit down and watch mean girls and he had no idea what that is um but think about those where, where they got the queen bee uh, kind of click and went on a writer's character who is not named heather it's veronica already doesn't fit in with this group and she kind of runs into this and he very much christian slater very much seems like he's channeling jack nicholson in this for sure <laughs> uh, with a voice and everything it's like he's finding himself he's like, oh, I'm going to attach to Jack Nicholson. And that's just what he does. But the basic premise is he, she's trying to be part of this group. He could care, couldn't care less about being in any group because he's pretty much a loner. And as you know, it takes on this subject of uh, the subject of bullying and body image with one character because that these kids are horrible to the one girl, and I've forgotten her name, but they basically kind of make her think that one of the really popular guys would be interested in her, knowing full well that she, that he wouldn't be. And when she kind of tries to reciprocate or find out more about it, she's just humiliated by it. Enough so that later on in the film, she goes to try to commit suicide, which is kind of treated a little... Uh, it's, it's, again, being the dark comedy, it's not, you know, it, it's fun. It's like, whoa, what are we watching here? Um, but going back to Christian Slater and and the whole bullying issue is the two jo- two of the jocks <laughs> that kind of try to accost them and try to give them a hard time to to put it mildly and are pretty much total dillweeds to them. Uh, don't expect uh, what is it a three fifty seven? It's a pretty large sized gun. And <laughs> Christian's you know the character's excuse as well they were blanks because when he fires the weapon they you know pretty much poop their pants. Um, but it goes from there, and eventually some of the popular kids are murdered by the duo of Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Uh, and they have, um, I think Jawbreaker had a very similar kind of bend because there, were, there was an accident, accidental death in this case. In this one, it's not accidental. They, um, but in death, they find more popularity than when they were alive. So, 
There, that, um, I, go ahead. Sorry. You go ahead, Mike. I was actually well, I, to, talk it's, to, you. <laughs> it, to say it's dark is very, very. It's an understatement to be sure. <laughs> well, um, I've recently realized I've never seen this movie. Um, as it keeps getting brought up, I'm like, I apparently had been confusing this movie with another movie um, that I just assumed I'd seen it, and then I've never gone to watch it as an adult. Um, and the only thing I can think of is I was confusing it with Crybaby for some reason, um, which I don't know why, but I just knew there was an 80s movie that everyone kept talking about, and I hadn't seen it starring a big, you know, a, a name that was big at the time. And I just assumed I'd seen it. And as I've heard more and more about it, I've realized, no, no, I've never seen this movie, and I really need to watch it. So it is on my to-watch list for the immediate future. I'm hoping within the next month or so to give it a watch, because you brought up it is in the list for a remake, if I'm not mistaken. Um, hearing, no. I, I believe it was on Hollywood Babylon that they discussed um, that this was up for a remake. Like a, and a, re, a re-envisionment, you know, modernizing it a bit. I mean, uh, cell phones make bullying uh, a new, you know, to the next level. So it'd be easier to achieve the uh, amount of abuse necessary to warrant such a reaction in a film, not in real life. Please don't just kill people. name it. Please just name it something else. But um, I haven't seen this movie in a while. It is pretty hilarious. And I love Wine on a Rider. And that is not a, you know, that's not a secret. Um, but... I, and I think I've mentioned this before, Bill usually picks on all my movies and calls them teeny movies, but he really enjoyed Heathers, and he laughed harder than I did. Oh. Um, huh. Yeah, he, like, died laughing watching that movie. And just a little fun fact, Winona Ryder is a big fan of The Replacements, and so that's why they named the high school. Westerberg High. Yeah. So just a fun fact. Interesting. Good pick. Yeah. I wish I would have said yeah. two, because I have a feeling I'm going to know more than one now, because... Uh, yeah. <laughs> now I've not seen this though, so it doesn't count for my uh, my my list. Um, I do know this movie, but I've not watched it, so I still have four to go. Hopefully, I'll get two of them. Um, well, f- oddly enough, because I, uh, I I hadn't read the trivia until now, Christian Slater has officially stated that he drew heavily from Jack Nicholson, which explains it. If you watch oh. it, you will totally see it. The other odd thing, and uh, this very much is like the Poltergeist steal. Um, two of the stars were died young. The one that prayed he never would commit suicide actually shot himself in 2000. Oh. Oh. And then another character, another, this is really strange, in 2001, the, there's a character that asks another one, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? She died of a brain tumor. Wow. That is just really strange to add another dark note to this. To, to bring it to reality, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's Heather's. Mike's number five. Uh, my number four is from 2009, and it's written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. Um, it stars Robin Williams, uh, Daryl Sab- Sabara, and Morgan Murphy, um, and it's called World's Greatest Dad. Now, um, have you seen it, Mike? I it was, it was on someone else's list, and I need to add it before... Because I've been catching up with Robin Williams movies, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, I I watched this last year as part of the 366 that I watched last well 384 that I watched last year, and um, I I went through all of Bobcat Goldthwait's movies, which were was not completely easy. Three of them were on Netflix, but I had to go hunting for the uh, w- w- oh something Creek. It's about Bigfoot. I cannot remember what it's called. I, like I ended up having to to rent that one um to in order to watch it, but. Uh, of the of his films, uh, 
two of them definitely qualify as dark comedies. I think three of the four qualify as dark comedies, and one is a documentary about a comedian who definitely uh, deals with dark comedy or dark structures, in fact. Um, so you could argue all four of Bob Goldthwaites could fall into it, and um, it was torn between God Bless America and this film, but this film, Robin Williams' performance is so great, and it's such a dark movie um, that has a lot of humor built into it. And so we meet uh, his son, is played by Daryl Sabara, who you would most likely recognize from the Spy Kids films. He is the the boy in the Spy Kids movies. Um, and he is a, he's a jerk. He's like an awful son. Um, and Robin Williams is a failed writer who is teaching English, but he's still trying to write his novel, his big novel. And so he desperately wants to be a successful writer and he's struggling and he's an English teacher in a mediocre school and his son's a piece of crap and they don't get along. And I, I forgot, I think his wife died. I don't remember for sure the, uh, what the wife situation was. I know she wasn't in the picture. Um, and the kid is not only is he a jerk, but he's, he's kind of a pervert and, He's way too into porn, and like, um, he uh, he's just an awful kid. And so, he's trying uh, the self asphyxiation, um, you know, method oh. of autoerotic autoerotic self asphyxiation, and uh, it it doesn't work out, and he hangs himself. Um, so Robin Williams discovers his son, uh, you know, with his stuff out, um, hanging from the the closet rod, I think, and uh, obviously is devastated, but then starts thinking my son's legacy is going to be this. So he decides to cover it up and writes a suicide note. Um, this very deep and like, you know, personal suicide note from his son's perspective. Um, and then, then calls the police. So once he stages the suicide, he calls the police. Um, and so the letter leaks and it becomes this like really popular, like all these people who hated the kid and thought he was a piece of crap. They now have remorse and they feel guilt and they like, I didn't know he was going through this. I wish he'd spoke to me. And it starts this big movement and it's, it's full of like comedic moments. Robin Williams performance is so fantastic. Um, it, it's again, it's a super dark comedy because it's dealing, you know, even like the scene where he finds his son is not played for comedy. It's played very serious. And Robin Williams emotional breakdown is, is just shows how great of an actor he is. Um, but it, it then it, there's tons of comedy, but even then he's, um, he's dealing with a little bit of guilt because he's becoming famous because of his son's suicide letter. Remember he wants to be a writer. So there's that whole story element. It, it's just, it's a really well-crafted film. It's well, it's well made film by Bobcat Goldthwait. Really great performance from Robin Williams. And um, while it's, there's moments where it's kind of hard to watch because you're like, oh my God. And then yet yeah, uh, I found myself laughing throughout the film. Um, and that was one I actually watched with my wife, which she's not a huge fan of dark comedies. But I, it, from what I remember, she enjoyed the film too, mainly because of Robin Williams and how great he is in it. So uh, my number four, World's Greatest Dad. It, it's very time. Um, it's kind of tough to watch Robin Williams. Yeah. And Same. it's, it's uh, because it's, I forget when it's all happened, but just this weekend, uh, one of my favorites, The World According to Carp, was on. So I, I basically stopped everything and I just sat down and watched it. And I think it was Friday morning. Man. And um, later, if it wasn't immediately thereafter or on Saturday, Insomnia was on. Oh, I love Insomnia. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I, I've, I've been wanting to see the original of it. Um, was still in Skarsgård. Skarsgård? Yeah. Um, but just to see the con and again, to see the range, because he's so understated in both of them. 
-hmm. and I haven't seen this, so I just added it to my list. But I, I saw it, just doing a like a cursory look up on dark comedies and whatnot today, just to kind of see. This one showed up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it didn't click with me because I didn't really look into it. I read the synopsis and has that very Heather's like Heather's kind of feel with the with the notes and getting more no notoriety. Um, and uh, I'm looking at the list uh, of a cameo with Chris Novoselic from Nirvana and a little nod to the Nirvana cover at the end. Um, I, I, I'll have to watch this. I'd, I'd meant to add it earlier. I wanted mm -hmm. to mark that. There was a, I want to, I can't remember if it was uh, which media outlet it was, but it had a, a fifth top 50 to watch. And this was on their list. Yeah. And I, so, I really yeah, love this. Um, this was a film that I had seen. Um, I had fallen out of Robin Williams movies at some point because he was doing a lot of like the, the mediocre comedies like um, old dogs. He's just phoning it in. Yeah, well, I don't even know if he's phoning in. He's just the parts weren't coming in, you know, and I didn't know about this side of him. I only really knew as a kid of him for, through comedy. So like I hadn't seen I still haven't seen. Um, what is it? One hour photo or photo booth or something like that. Ooh, um, I haven't seen one that. Hour photo. Um, and yeah. insomnia I hadn't seen until last year. So like I had missed a whole. You know, speaking of range, I'd missed a whole side of him. Um, that was outside of the comedy world. Like I'd seen Patch Adams and I. Uh, the movie where he plays the kid with the growth disorder, Jack, something Jack. Mm -hmm. um, mm -mm. I'd seen those, but um, and I, I I did see Goodwill Hunting, which so I I knew he was good, but I just hadn't explored his film. Um his films outside of the comedic ones and the comedic ones in his later career weren't as good not necessarily because of him just they just weren't as good you know they maybe the parts weren't there uh, he's having to play like the old dad and all of them so he's getting typecast a lot um and again not necessarily that they were bad they just weren't as good as the they weren't the type of comedies that yeah. i was looking for um, but seeing a few like Insomnia and this movie last year really made me appreciate. And I was sad when he when he died. It was actually I think uh, one of the hardest celebrity deaths that I can recall. Like when it happened, like I was legitimately sad for like several days afterwards. Um, and so you know, going back and watching some of these last year, it, it was a good way of like kind of remembering him as uh, how great of a performer he was, even though he was obviously troubled. Um, which I think is why it bothered me so much is because of the suicide element of his death versus, yeah. you know, it being natural causes or something like, or like Anton Yelchin's death, which bothered me because it was a fluke accident, you know, and he was so young. Robin Williams taking his own life is not something you would have ever expected. And of course there's that, the line from the Watchmen comic where Rorschach tells the joke about the, uh, the doctor and the comedian and like, um, that panel came up during that death and it just, it just all really hit hard. So, but um, if you if you're a fan of Williams and if you're a fan of dark comedies, I think this is one you need to watch uh, for sure. And on a side note, God Bless America from um, Bobcat Goldthwait as well is another one that is uh, it's super dark and it does involve a lot of killing uh, of people that maybe don't deserve to die, but they definitely are like the what I think the socially acceptable members of society would deem as nuisances or the problems with our culture like uh like it's it's full of a lot of messed up kind of unnecessary death punishment but it's done satirically and it's done with a, a twinge of humor so if you can get past that it's worth watching i haven't seen this movie but i just added it to my list i know you've talked about this director before yeah well bobcat so. goldthwait was an actor first um if you ever saw the stand police academy comic. movie and stand-up comedic stand-up comedian um if you ever saw the police academy movies um he was the 
uh, I think he was called Bobcat in those movies. I can't honestly remember, but he had the he has he, a weird voice, very crazy voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, he's in Scrooged uh, with Bill Murray. Um, he is uh, <gasps> he is the guy who's kind of opposing Bill Murray. He gets fired for opposing him early in the movie, and then that's a plot point throughout the film. Um, so yeah, very very noticeable kind of crazy voice. I don't know how to even describe it because it's not whiny, but it is, and yeah, it's. It's his voice. But grumbled. Yeah, it's very garbled. Like he's, you know, he's stuttery, um, nervous, but loud and gr- uh, it's 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 a unique and very memorable voice. I've known it my whole life because I was a big fan of the Police Academy movies when I was a kid. <laughs> All right, Corey, uh, number four. All right. Um. So I have mentioned this movie before. Um. But it's 1971's Harold and Maude. I knew that was gonna be on your list. <laughs> <laughs> time okay um i'm being so judged right now no Um, you're not not at all i i think this is a movie that my my uh well a person who i wouldn't have expected to be such a fan of this film but when i was doing my movie challenge last year kept bringing it up to me um and it's one i need to watch and this subject i mean this is if you're doing dark comedies and you've seen this movie it's probably going to be on your list because it is kind of an iconic one so um go ahead Corey. harold and maude I just love this movie so much. Um, so we never find out how old Harold is, but it's obvious that he's pretty young and much to his mother's dismay, he's not interested in dating, um, even though she tries to set him up all the time. But she does walk. They own a mansion, so they're rich somehow. Um, she walks into different rooms of the home and he's staged fake suicides and it's just deeply disturbing to her and he you know likes to attend funerals for fun um he drives a hearse um he ends up meeting Maude who is 79 and they become friends they have a short-lived romance which is odd but um but not in the movie it's not odd but thinking about it on a social level um but she thinks that 80 is the perfect age at which to die so um that's you know yeah so i i I take it is that like become a plot point is him helping her die or something um it becomes a plot point but he's not assisting her oh okay so um she gives him kind of a she also attends funerals for fun but she has a much bigger zest for life and she enjoys doing different things she lives a very full life which is very opposite of him and i think that's kind of what draws him in but um their opposites are interesting they're such tourists they're just tourists oh. well interesting yeah. fact um the guy that plays uh harold is named bud court um shows up in dogma as the uh you know the the guy who's in a coma john doe jersey um in dogma oh yeah um wow. i just i was just looking at that i was like oh well, that's funny like i mean you can barely see him uh you only see him i think twice in the movie itself um but yeah funny little callback um or not a callback so much but funny little thing because i you know a little bit of trivia uh, i wouldn't be surprised if kevin smith did that um because he was a fan of the movie and wanted to get him in some way like he does with judd nelson and uh jane silent bob strike back um you know fan of breakfast club kind of thing so um, Harold and Maude. Uh, Mike, have you seen that one? I have not. I've it's. Uh, I have a. It showed up on a, that li- one of the lists that I'd um, kind of looked through, but not having seen it. And it's funny because I think the little clip they had was. Um, I think it was Maude telling Harold, "Oh, nice try," because he's kind of swinging. Looks like he's swinging from a rope, 
Uh, mm? One of his, you know, attempts or his fake attempts of taking his own life. And that's just an odd little relation. It, it's very, it's supposedly very endearing, and I know people really love it. I've, I missed the boat on it because that was 70s. What is it? 76? 71. 71. Yeah. 71. So even earlier than that. So yeah. these days, oh, you know what? I'm going to start using my app and just start adding because these yeah. are some that I just haven't. Watch. And I am a, I am apparently a very big fan of dark comedies. I didn't realize how many movies I love are listed as dark comedies, um, which we were talking about before we started recording. And um, so I, this is one that I did. I saw it on several lists, um, and it's one that I I really need to watch. It keeps getting brought up to me. Corey's a big fan of it. Um, I'm gonna make an effort to actually see it. I don't know if it's uh, available on any streaming services or anything, but I will be looking for it. Oop. It was on. Netflix. I don't know if it still is. Huh. Well, if it is, then I'm going to be watching that soon. I say that, but there's like a bajillion movies that I want to watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I understand. One bajillion movies. Yes. I wish I had... I wish I could just watch movies all the time and get paid for it, but um, maybe one day. That's the dream. But... Well, that'll be summer break. Summer break. Yeah. Alright. Uh, Mike, what is your number four... Um, Dark comedy. All right. Well, I'm going even further back than 1971. I'm going all the way back to 1964. And this one was directed by Stan... Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I know what it is. You know what it is? You yeah. know what it is? It's Dr. Strangelove. With... Yes, Dr. Strangelove or How I Stop Worrying and Learn to Love the Bomb. I don't know that I can fully do justice because this one's been around forever. And, and it's funny because... Um, official policy was changed because of what ends up happening. Let me let me try to quickly put this together. Basically, paranoia has filled George C. Scott's character, General Jack D. Ripper. Is that yeah, George C. Scott? Because he's of the belief that the fluoride in our drinking water is just part of a massive plot, which is actually kind of timely because I know that there are people that would you know feel that. Uh, adding that fluoride is you know not necessary even though we've been told otherwise and so he, he wants to be able to launch a nuclear attack on the soviet union and this is in the midst of the cold war not that uh, again being timely because of you know not getting too political but with you know possibilities of the russians having involvement with the current administration and whatnot but anyway i digress um so there's basically what happens is there's only one person that knows the recall to be able to get uh, the, the bombers back. And in this particular instance, there is a bomber that it's on its way and has had its communications device um, destroyed because of it. They can't – even if they had the right code, they would never, ever, never be able to really uh, receive it. Um, but th that's just the general gist of it. There's so much going on. Um, Peter Sellers plays – the the doctor that's and and he he's always trying to keep his one hand from going up in the traditional Nazi German salute mm -hmm. and it's just really uh, there's all these quirks and uh, things going on between a vending machine if I remember right and then mechanisms on the B fifty two bombers that fails which ends up having one of the crewmen writing a nuclear bomb down like <laughs> as if it's you know uh, a, a uh bucking bull uh, bucking yeah a, a bull a mechanical bull all the way down just crazy american yahoo 
all the way down and to the detonation. And uh, it, it doesn't end. There, there's, there's no happy ending because it, it basically ends with the footage of, you know, continual nuclear detonations because, one, you know, once one strikes, there's going to be the counter strikes and whatnot. Think of Terminator 2 and, you know, Judgment Day and whatnot because that's just probably what would happen as soon as one launches then another country is going to counter launch and then everybody will get in on it. And like in war games, you know, the only option is the best option is not to play. And uh, it's definitely an anti, you know, pretty heavy handed anti-nuclear sentiment. Um, I know just from reading the trivia, the U S army, because the B-52s were so new, they did not want to have any participation in it. They kind of stayed away from it quite a bit didn't offer support uh, for that. So they were on their own with the production. Huh. The, the Oddly enough, uh, just, I think it was Friday morning again, because I, I flipped through and watched some things. Crimson Tide came on. Mm. And again, a very similar scenario, except on a nuclear submarine and that face-off between Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman's characters. It's a, a much more serious. Yeah, I was going to say, very different uh, tone. Um, yeah, different tone, similar, similar I mean, you know, Doctor Strange Love, I watched for the first time last year. Um, Peter Sellers is amazing. What was that? Um, Peter Sellers mm-hmm. is uh, fantastic in that movie um, as the different characters that he plays. And it is. That's true. Um, That's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just um, one I wish I'd seen earlier. And actually, I was really mad when I did watch it because I watched it at home. I was uh, fortunate enough to buy a Mel Brooks box set a few years back on Black Friday for like 25 bucks like, all of his movies on Blu-ray, and, um, so I watched it like that, and then, like, a month after I watched it, they announced it was gonna be back in theaters, and I was like, oh, I can't take a chance to go watch that, because I was, had to watch a new movie every day last year, so it would, it would have required me seeing two movies on that day, and that's not always, uh, feasible, so, um, I was bummed to miss it in the theater, but, you know, um, I hope they do Blazing Saddles at some point, but, yeah, uh, definitely one worth watching, and that's the first movie on your list that I have seen. Uh, Corey, have you seen Doctor Strangelove? Oh, nice. I haven't. Aha. Oh, so. when I got the characters wrong, the Sterling Hayden is the Jack D. Ripper. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty obvious, Jack D. Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Where George C. Scott plays the other general. My mistake. Yep. And, yeah, just, there's so many funny parts, and James Earl Jones uh, is in that movie as well yep. um, as one of the fire <laughs> pilot guys. Um, which, uh, all right, so we'll move into number three. Um, my number three uh, for top five movies is one that um, it's it was a guilty pleasure of sorts because I don't think it's very well regarded, but it's one that really made me laugh. And um, it does star Bruce Willis, although I don't have Hudson Hawk on this list. I don't know that Hudson Hawk Hudson Hawk might count because it is about crime. Um, he's a cat burglar and the whole movie's a, a comedy, so it might be a dark comedy, but it doesn't feel like a dark comedy to me. Um but uh, this one, The Whole Nine Yards from 2000, um, <laughs> it's one of Matthew Perry's only films that I really, really enjoy. Uh, stars Bruce Willis, Matthew Perry, Rosanna Arquette, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, Natasha Henstrich, who she kind of vanished, huh? Um, and Amanda Peet, uh, as well as I got to mention Kevin Pollack. Um, Matthew Perry is a dentist whose wife has hired a hitman for him, um, who is Harlan Williams, the first go around. And uh, a real, like, authentic hitman, Jimmy Tedeschi, moves in next door, and um, he ends up liking Oz, so they become friends, and he sends Oz to to help out with this whole thing. It's this whole crime hitman thing, 
and it's it's maybe overly elaborate plot, but it cracked me up every time I watched it. Matthew Perry, it gets to basically be Chandler, um, if Chandler were put into the middle of a mob scenario, and it's it's funny. Like Kevin Pollock's got this crazy accent, and he's funny. Um, Michael Clark Duncan is really funny in his role. Amanda Peet, um, who has had some you know movies, she's not super successful, but uh, this particular film, I really enjoyed her her performance in it. Um, she's his assistant, but she's also a wannabe hitman. So there's all these things, and Bruce Willis is right in his wheelhouse. He's playing this kind of intimidating, scary guy who's definitely got an edge of comedy. Um, it, it's I don't know there, what it was about. It's been a long time since I watched it, but this was one that I rewatched many times. Uh, anytime it was on, I used to watch it. Um, they did try a sequel, the whole Ten Yards, uh, not as good. Uh, which, you know, if we're looking at the critic rating on this movie, it's a 47, so it's not well regarded by critics. Although not hated for a comedy, because a lot of comedy score lower. Um, but uh, 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb's user rating. Um, I would say it's a little higher up for me. But again, I, I really like Matthew Perry. Um, I am a, I, I would say Chandler is a heavy part of the reason why I've watched Friends so many times. Um, and I, I'm rooting for Matthew Perry. I want him to have some success. I'm hoping something else comes along and he gets to keep working in the, in the industry. Because I do think he is very funny. He does have, he's definitely a character actor more so than a leading man, but um, he's likable and he makes me laugh. So, whole nine yards. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> huh, it's it been a been. long time since I've seen it. Mm. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while for me too. I don't, this is one, um, I'm actually surprised, I don't think I own it. And it's one that I, I'm surprised at I, as I was a big fan of it for a long time. I mean, I used to, I think it was on HBO or something when I had it, like back then, and I would watch it every time. It was on. Um, I know I've seen this dozens of times. It just, again, it cracks me up. There, there's a part where um, he's going to work and he hates his life. He, they, they even play on the the um, idea that dentists uh, have like the highest suicide rate among professions. They play on that a little bit. Um, and there's a part where he's he goes to leave for work, and um, he's he just had a fight with his wife and he doesn't really want to go to his job and he hates his wife. And he gets in the car and he starts, um, he just like spazzes out, like hits the steering wheel, slams his head on it and just, you know, like freaking out, calms himself, starts to drive away, parks the car and then freaks out again. And it just, it killed me every time. I don't, it's something with Matthew Perry, like his spastic comedy. I think it, I relate to it because I am a spaz. And so it's just like, <laughs> hey, it's me on screen, um, not necessarily in appearance, but in behavior. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why it works for me so much. And it's not one that I think everyone would love. If you like Bruce Willis or if you like Matthew Perry, especially if you like Matthew Perry as Chandler, I think you can find a lot of comedy in this movie that's worth um, laughing at. Um, it is dark, though, because, again, he's a, Bruce Willis is a hitman, so people die. There's going to be death, and even the death is taken kind of comically. Um, you know, there's a whole shootout sequence. Amanda Peet uh, poses naked uh, to distract the other killers so that they can easily kill him, and she, like, laughs about their deaths afterwards. So it's, you know, it's dark um, in that way. So just to justify it on this list, but all right. Um, Corey, what do you got for number three then? My number three is 1991's Delicatessen. Mm. I think we've talked Ooh. about this a tiny bit. Um, but um, this movie, the owner of a uh, French apartment building also runs a butcher shop on the first floor under um, the guise of trying to um, offering jobs for help around his shop. Um, he actually murders the people who apply to supply the shop with meat to sell to the tenants that live in his building. Um, and then one of the people that lives in the building, and also at one point, they kill someone's grandmother to have meat. 
to sell to the tenants. Um, it's ridiculous, this movie, but I enjoy it a lot. I've only seen it a couple of times, um, but... There's an unemployed circus clown who moves into his building and his daughter falls in love with him much. Sorry, I need to use more words. Um, So the (laughs) the landlord of this building's daughter falls in love with this unemployed circus clown, much to her father's dismay. Um, He was actually trying to hire him so that he could butcher him. Um, Yeah, just there's a woman in the building who sleeps with the um landlord so that she can get this is gonna so that's what she said so she can get meat from the butcher shop um Uh. but it's just a really ridiculous movie but the whole movie is just ridiculous but it's good well it's so i saw this on a bunch of the list um yeah and it it does have a 66 metacritic so it's you know critics find some joy in this movie um it's one that I've heard a lot about and I I'd never seen, and it's definitely on my list to uh, to check out. Um, is it is it? You said it was set in France. Is it a French film? Like, is it in Fran- Is it in French? Yes, it's. I see. This is where I think that you and I talked about it. I'm gonna mispronounce this. Amelie. Oh uh, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I believe it's the same director. I have oh, never okay. seen that movie, but I'm pretty sure it's the same director. Um and. Yeah, apparently this is a pretty popular film. This is a movie, this movie I got as a gift from our mutual friend for my going away. Ah. But I was drawn to the movie just because of the cover. The, yeah. The red background with the pig? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it just made me it just uh, made me want to wa- like watch it and then like the back I think might have green or something. I don't remember, but it just I don't know. And it, it is the same director from Amelie, and he also, I think, did yep. Alien Resurrection. What? I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, I'm thinking that's... I can't read... Yep, definitely. Okay. Well, uh, the one I, I know, uh, I've not watched them, but um, City of Lost Children. Oh, yeah. Oh. The other. I haven't seen that one either. I haven't but, seen that one. Um, Amelie, I, I watched last year, and I loved... Uh, it, it was... I feel like a lot of the style of Amelie influences Edgar Wright, um, as far as like some of the cutting techniques and... Uh, some of the cinematography definitely is reminiscent of what you'll see in the Edgar Wright films, which come later. So, um, yeah, Alien Riser and a very long engagement he directed as well. Mm, I've heard of that, not seen it, but um, Mike, have you seen Delicatessen? I have not. I'm adding it to my watch list. I, it's, Me too. I think it's on Netflix still. I, I know I've seen it and I've always passed it over. I need to watch it. Yeah, I see. I I had the opposite. It looks like a weird horror film when you look at the uh, the the cover art. And so I would pass it off as a, you know, and this is, I hate doing that because there's an expression for books, not to judge them by their cover. Um, I do that far too often with movies, especially when I worked at FYE. You know, you're looking at covers all the time and that's, some draw your eye and some don't. And this one didn't. where I saw it. And it just like I was always drawn to it for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, there's weird I mean, ones, too, where like I remember specific covers, even of movies I've never seen or know nothing about. But I'm like. You know, oh, I know that box art. Like, um, Dead Silence, I think, is one with the, uh, like, the mouth coming, like, something coming out of someone's mouth with their headphones. Like, I remember that box art. Don't know much about the movie, but, like, I remember looking at that art and just always, like, it would always grab my eye in this, you know, sea of films that wouldn't, I'd be like, oh, there's that cover again. Um, all right, Mike, let's go to your number three, uh, Dark Comedy. All right, I'm headed all the way back again to 1974. Um, this was actually very it almost like predicted some stuff because even now think of 
the idea of memes and like the cult of personality that kind of because the first thing that came to mind when I thought of this one, this is um, directed by Sidney Lumet or Lumet, however you pronounce it. Uh, it's called Network oh. from 1976. Uh, Faye Dunaway, William Holden, and Peter Finch are the top build cast. Um, but I'm thinking, all right, so, and I hate to mention it because it's only perpetuating this particular girl's popularity, the Cash Me Outside, how about that? Uh, you know what I mean? How that just, yes, okay. So think of how that has taken off. Well, this was kind of preceded, this is 40-some years ago, by the idea of, uh, because in network, it, it deals with a fictional fourth network and a one-time-at-the-top anchor that is, is the ratings aren't there and so obviously the network's going to fire him they're giving him his two weeks well he doesn't have the reaction that they would expect they figure he's going to bow out quietly he's old it's about time for him to go he rages and in fact one of the catch lines is that he throws out is i'm i'm mad as hell and i'm and i'm not gonna and i'm not gonna say he has he has people um, oh i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take it anymore yeah and I'm not going to say that's where it originates. And so he kind of builds up. All of a sudden, people are watching because they don't know what he's going to say next. And, you know, and that's kind of very relevant now. You just don't know what you're going to see next or hear next, whether it's from, you know, our nation's capital or from a teenage girl who doesn't know any better. And all these people are emulating her and giving her. I mean, there's no reason a dozen movie producers should be courting her for movie deals. This is where entertainment has gotten to. And this is where, I mean, this was 1976 again, this long ago. Um, at that point, not only uh, are they, you know, exploiting his unraveling uh, on screen because he really just goes on to, you know, think of like Peter Griffin, where it really grinds my gears. I think it kind of is a little satirical version of it. He just goes off and says things that people, you know, are probably thinking, but don't always say, and shares it. Actually, so other, I'm sorry? No, no, go ahead, finish your thought. Well, uh, so when, what ends up happening is other networks try to figure out, all right, how do we top this? And end up actually recruiting actual terrorists to follow around, kind of like reality TV mm. before reality TV was even thought of. And they're putting this, and that's what they're showing. And you got to imagine, if you're using terrorists, this is not going to end well. Because they're not known yeah. for being the friendliest kind of group, someone that's a terrorist, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it kind of follows along with that. It's the danger, uh, you know, it's definitely a commentary on media. And it's like, what are we watching here? It's it's really kind of crazy. It seems and, like we've actually uh, done that, though. Like in, this, in the modern era, um, going back to as early as like the real world and stuff like that, you know, when the reality TV started but then it became like what well, was early 2000 when it, it just blew up and like every network that was all they were showing was reality tv like yeah survivor and big brother and just it was non-stop reality shows um and um it actually made me think of when you brought up the cash me outside girl but more so um we just saw power rangers right and the yellow ranger mm -hmm. is played by a, a, an actress whose name is simply becky g and mm -hmm. i read her bio and there was a, a some of the wording of the bio kind of bothered me and i'm going to read just two sentences from it um it says gomez posted videos of herself dancing and singing on youtube the following sentence is what bothers me it says like most stars she was discovered on youtube and i'm like what does it mean like most stars i would say very small percentage of our stars in hollywood have been discovered on youtube um mm -hmm. youtube stars are discovered on youtube sure but 
most of them have not gone on to have careers yet. Uh, They might be making a living on YouTube for sure, but it's such a weird sentence. Uh, Odds are she is paying for the IMDb Pro and she can customize her page. Given that, that sounds like a publicist uh, release, not something IMDb would have written themselves um, or whomever writes them. Uh, This sounds like something from her camp. Again, like most stars, she was discovered on YouTube. I'm like... No, I mean, there's a bit. I've watched a few movies recently with someone that was a YouTuber, uh, Miss Stevens. One of the the main characters is from YouTube, and she is from YouTube. And those are the only two that I'm familiar with that have had big movies that weren't based on YouTube characters. Like they did a Fred movie. Fred was a guy on YouTube mm-hmm. who was super obnoxious. Yeah. Um. And yeah. there is a YouTube Red is now trying yeah. to do some films. You know, they have the uh, the Laser Team. Um, I think it was called Laser Team. And then uh, they have a documentary out right now about a guy, uh, I can't think of the name of the documentary, but it looks really good, of a a young man who went through a sex change, and like him, it was all kind of documented on his YouTube channel, and like that seems really compelling, but again, he's not famous outside of YouTube yet, he's still a YouTuber, and that's not, it's not meant to be derogatory, but just that weird statement of, like most stars. Oh yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very, mm. But I think it it, I it they... reflects back to the the movie network that you're that you're bringing up that you know that mindset that yeah yeah YouTube that's where how you get famous and there are a lot of my students they come into my class and I'm like you love movies I'm like oh, I like YouTube I'm like not the no, same no it's not, not the same <laughs> it's some not to say that there are YouTubers out there who put out some high quality work but a lot of them are just kids talking erratically and and jump cuts like poor editing if you were judging it as a film. But somehow gets the ratings, you know, like they're like just like talking fast, usually abusive about something else, you know, like and as a film critic saying that it, it obviously a lot of times our most read reviews are the ones where we really rip into a movie. People like that. And that is not why I write those. I write those only because I feel that that much disdain for film and i've written very few negative reviews. I've written some, you know, mediocre reviews or this could have been a lot better but I've uh, very rarely have I attacked a film for being bad. I've done it a few times, but not not nearly as often as I've been um, congratulating the art. Because ultimately, most movies. Uh, I, I think Danny Boyle said, "No one sets out." I can't remember. I just heard an interview, and I loved the line: "Is no one sets out to make a bad movie." You know, they have <laughs> the best intentions to make the film. Like they they really go in. Even Tommy Wiseau with the room when he went to make it, even though he claims now that he made it bad on purpose. If you've seen it, that is not likely um, the case because it's it's not that type of a bad movie. It's a bad movie. It's bad acting, bad dialogue, bad plot points. Um, But when he was making it, he probably thought it was good. And it wasn't until afterwards that other people saw it and started going, what are you thinking? And, um, you know, so a lot of uh, we're we're on a tangent, so we should probably redirect. But, um, yeah. Network sounds really compelling, and I do like that it parallels so much of of modern like themes in it. You know, going back to nineteen seventy six. Yeah, it's it's a must watch. I would say. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna make an effort to see that one. Um, my number two, and we do need to move through these because we're we're at almost an hour and a half already. <laughs> um, my number two, uh, dark comedy is from nineteen ninety three, starring Mike Myers. So I married an axe murderer. Um, <laughs> this is a comedy that Mike and I have referenced many times. Uh, there are still lines from this movie that I quote all the time. 
like ridiculously because nobody ever gets them. Like Mike, you were the first person I've ever met to get any of my so I married an axe murder references or to make them <laughs> instead of me. And it's it's one of those movies that I loved so much as a kid. I still like it now. I watched it recently and I still love it. I still find it so amusing. Now, the prim- the title alone tells you it's a dark comedy because it does deal with an actual axe murderer in the film. So there's all these jokes about death and um you know that type of the idea of mortality is played on um you know it 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 touches on the themes. I mean, I can still recite the woman poem. Like that's how much I love this movie. Oh man. <laughs> um yeah, and like I I have many times made jokes about like you know what this place needs blah 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 and like oh you have it you know like he does it with the giant russian poster um or the giant poster of new orleans and i've i've you know like <laughs> this is a movie that when i think of of comedies that i've watched a lot this is one of them and it's it's like you know it's always been sad to me because like no one else seemed to have ever seen this movie and i watched it all the time and it was i had hbo so i was lucky and it was on all the time so i would watch it every time it would come on and i loved mike myers because i was a big wayne's world fan he was one of my favorite saturday night live cast members of all time so here was a movie where he wasn't in like some disguise. You know, he looks like Mike Myers. It's one of the only movies where you can say that, where he's not wearing a costume or makeup. You know, he's just hey, there's Mike Myers. Like there he is, and he's being funny. He's hilarious. Um, and, well, he does have makeup because he plays his dad. But you know, <laughs> when he's playing just himself, he's his himself. Um, and it's got you know some good cast. Anthony Lapaglia, who I love in this movie, and he's also in Empire Records. Um, I'm pretty Nancy sure he's Travis. Joe. I loved. Nancy Travis. I I only really know her from this movie, but yes, um, she's so good in it. Um, and uh, I love him as his dad. The whole interaction with um, you know, <laughs> head move hey, now. Vince, hey, no. <laughs> Look at the size of his head. It's like Sputnik. Well, I went too far on that one. He's gonna be crying himself to sleep on this huge pillow. If you've never Give seen this wee movie, pillar. it it does deal with there is an actual axe murderer, and that's part of there is a mystery element to the movie. Um, and it does play on his, you know, his fears. And there's some really funny, like, moments um, where she, she, they're in bed and she's like, what if we were, you know, I could just kill you right now. And he, like, freaks out on her. And it's it's one of those <laughs> things where it's like, yeah, I could see why you would freak out, especially if you're already thinking she might be a murderer. Like, it, it makes sense. Um, and, it, and in fact, it does kind of play on our fear of the media because um, his parents follow the uh, the tabloid news and they think that it's real news. And there's a lot of crazy stories that she references, and it's you know ridiculous. But there's one that does seem to have some some weight to it, and it's this one. Um, it's interesting because this movie and Men in Black both kind of argue that the the tabloid journalism is actually getting the best information out there. Um, while not all of their stories are true, there is always a nugget of truth that slips in that other news uh, sources just let slide, according to these movies. But uh, I I love this film, and I still I think it holds up. It's not. Maybe not holds up 100%, but it's still entertaining, and a lot of the jokes do work. In fact, a lot of the coffeehouse jokes work even more now, because I think coffeehouses are much more ubiquitous now than they were in 90... Uh, what year did I say? This was 93. Because um, we didn't have Starbucks here in 93. Like, that wasn't a thing yet, and I, I don't think Starbucks was a thing anywhere, maybe except for Seattle. But um, coffee houses were not abundant in Polk County then, and now they are. <laughs> so... Um, Still don't have uh, any spoken word poetry out in Winter Haven or Lake Wales, but in Lakeland, I think they do. So, whoa, okay. Um, huh. what are you guys? Anything to add to uh, "So I Married an Axe Murderer"? Oh man, that's a huge noggin. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it since I was young, but I liked it. Okay, I it's it. 
Well, and then, you know, coming because you really think I remember thinking, oh, that she really is the, you know, you kind of find out more. And it was the sister who played the sister, Amanda Plummer. Yeah, I think so. I'm looking now. Yep. um, This is Mike Myers at his best. And it's funny because I'm looking at the writing credit and it's not him. It was um, where'd it go? Robbie Fox. I'm trying to see what else he playing for keeps in the army now of all things. Yeah. As a writer, and only ama- seven things he was a writer on. If Amanda Plummer doesn't ring a bell, it is Honey Bunny um, from Pulp Fiction. And she does elicit the, you know, when she gets really like, when they stand and take the diner in the beginning of Pulp Fiction, when she yells at everybody, that same everybody yell, puts- <laughs> yeah, that same yell shows up in So I Murdered an Axe Murder. Um, and it's, it's, if you've seen both movies, it's like, oh, there's that yell again. It's that same one. Um, and not in a bad way. Like, it's kind of scary and yet, like, not. Like, there's this, like, like, is she for real? Oh, she is for real. Okay, I should pay attention. <laughs> um, I had to look up really fast because when you said that this is the only movie you've seen Nancy Travis in, I know that I've seen her in other movies, but I couldn't place them. But she was also in 1993, so that must have been a big year for her. The Vanishing with yes, Kiefer Sutherland, yes. which was based off of a foreign film. Yep. I didn't see that. Her and Sandra Bullock. It's good. The, the original is better, but it, I haven't it has seen that. its moment. All right. Well, let's move into Corey's number two then. What you got, Corey? I bet that John already knows this is going to be on my list, but it's 2001's Ghost World. Oh. <laughs> I had to. Um, I love this movie. I love Steve Buscemi so much as Seymour, and then um, Thora Birch as Enid and Scarlett Johansson as Rebecca. Um, They kind of play, well, more so Enid. She's lost. She doesn't have any direction. Um, She ends up seeing this ad in a, um, like, one of those singles ad. She sees a singles ad and decides to contact Seymour, and she is kind of she's mean she sets up like this um meeting at a diner with him and she never shows up but she's watching him the whole time she ends up entering into a relationship with him and he's much older than her um so it deals with some heavy and odd social situations Mm. (laughs) and she's like not growing up whereas her best friend rebecca kind of is she has the job she's trying to get an apartment and enid's just kind of stuck she graduated from high school but not really because she has to finish this class in the summer um but i love i love this movie um we i kind of mentioned earlier that it's based off of daniel close um graphic novel and i'm trying to think of more like strange things in this movie um... I know there's the guy in the quick the quick stop or the convenience store parking lot. Mm-hmm. Brad Renfro, um, I think this was one of his last films. Yeah, that it's a shame mm-hmm. about him. Um, the bus that, whole, that never comes. The bus that never, but eventually does. Or honestly, the relationship between Seymour and Enid is just that's a little. Say. That's the dark element of it. It's it's making yeah. kind of light of the statutory you know affair that's taking place um i mean i'm guessing because technically you're like, graduated not, high school so she's like 18 yeah I would that's a valid point still but, creepy it's still, yeah um i don't know that he actively pursues or i guess um, it's just odd all around i mean yeah. i really enjoy this film and uh one of those i had to quick change just because dialogue and my kids yeah. are—they're just not ready for it. And I've watched and watched. I know I've got a VHS copy of it. I've never owned 
the graphic novel, which is a shame. I am ashamed to admit that I've never owned a graphic novel. I need to just buy it. But I mean, those little barbs where um, they think they make up these backstories, and I know I'm guilty of that. I, I, I'll do that. We make backstories up for people that we don't know, mm-hmm. the Satanists that they see, Weird Al. We're just going to call you Weird Al. They're just really mean. Um, her and Rebecca? Is it Rebecca? Yeah, Scarlett Johansson's okay. character. Um, a very young. Very. Story. Just so, I mean, because she was in The Horse Whisperer, wasn't she? That was one of her earlier I don't. Movies. I don't watch movies that, about horses. That oh, really? movie's horrible. I, I, no, I've not watched it, but I think that's one of her early, early ones. So just really good cast. Ileana Douglas is the art teacher. And then that whole thing with the, the Sambo ad, which he's a collector, and he didn't want her to take, and she kind of takes it and claims it as her own and gets them. Just all it sorts of little... ruckus. Yeah, oh yeah, because it's a big deal. I mean, that, that was... <laughs> blatant racism. Yeah. Well, and I I saw the movie only once, and I watched it last year, and I really liked it. Though I do want to rewatch it. Um, it'd been one that I'd wanted to see for some time, um, especially because when I I remember seeing the trailer when it was first coming out and thinking it looked like the character was a Daria esque character. Um, mm-hmm. and I am a big fan of that type of character. One of the reasons why I'm such an Ellen Page fan. Um, mainly in Juno, she has that same type of vibe. Uh, Ghost World, I didn't find to be as comedic as I was expecting it to be, but I still really enjoyed the film. Like, I'm not in any way insulting the film by that. It's just, I was thinking it would be a little lighter than it was, and it was definitely not. It, it has a lot of, you know, it's a coming-of-age story in a very, and it deals with it in a very interesting way. Um, as she's avoiding, she's actively avoiding coming-of-age. She's looking to not move forward with her life, and it's, you know, the, the tragedy that, uh, you know, befalls her as a result is compelling, so... Um, not that it's a major tragedy, but still, like her life is not as good as she thought it would be if she just stayed young. You know, it kind of different mm-hmm. lesson being taught. All right, uh, Mikey, what you got for number two? All right, I'm coming into the '90s. This is basically to boil it down to simply is a Red Riding Hood story in a way that you've never seen it. Um, it is from 1996 with Reese Witherspoon, Kiefer Sutherland, Brooke Shields, Dan Hedaya. Uh, called Freeway. And hmm. I think, if I remember right, this is one of the first Reese Witherspoon films I remember. I think even prior to Cruel Intentions. So basically she plays, and um, it's funny because going into the Telltale uh, Games uh, game called Wolf Among Us, it's kind of like Fables Reimagined, and that's, that's this. Um, Reese Witherspoon plays... They, they call her Vanessa Lutz, but she's basically the Red Riding Hood analog uh, for it. And Kiefer Sutherland plays the character named Bob Wolverton and <laughs> kind of basically takes she's basic. She's on her way. She's a juvenile delinquent. She's gotten uh, she's trying to get away from a social worker in the process of the story and trying to get to grandma's house. OK, so there's your Red Riding Hood and Bob Wolverton seemingly tries to help out, but is got you know he's kind of a creep and uh, if i remember right i think it's brooke shields that plays his wife and she's kind of going through this trying to get away from him and back and forth and he definitely goes into the wolf and sheep's clothing because clothing because of what ends up happening only to find out you know his true self later on um it it goes it's pretty frantic it's pretty graphic in parts it's definitely not what I would have expected from Reese, Reese Witherspoon. 
um, just to see that story. Because at, at that point, I didn't know what I was watching, and it didn't even click with me. I was just kind of along for the ride and seeing this go out, and then I'm like, oh, that makes sense. It's just, and I think there was a sequel released, but not no one that was involved in the first one, so I wouldn't even yeah. mess with it if you happen to, happen to see it out there. But just different take on a fairy tale where you see these characters that you are familiar with, but not quite because you're seeing a new take on them. That is um, a movie I, I I don't really, I think I've heard of before, but I had not heard a lot about but I saw it a lot on the list that I was looking at to see, like, you know, what are dark comedies, what are a list of movies that have been classified as that. And it kept popping up. I didn't know what it was. I just kept seeing Freeway. I was like, I don't know what that movie is. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I don't want to watch it now. Yeah, it was one of those video stores. Uh, seeing the trailer, I'm like, okay, I got to see this. We, I think we only bought one copy and I took it home. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know how I'm going to recommend this. But there it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move in. Uh, Corey, did you see Freeway? Nope, she's not available. Um, so, uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's okay. I, will, I like turned my mic off, so I'm not annoying. But um, no, I haven't seen it. So so far, I've got my one. I I'm missing one. I hope your number one is one I've seen, Mike. Um, otherwise, Corey will win this week again. Uh, I'm being too, you know, I guess overly confident. Um, my number one. <laughs> Uh, we're going to travel back to modern time. It's from 2015 officially, although it was not majorly released until 2016. And that is The Lobster. Um, The Lobster starring Colin Farrell, Rachel Weisz, Jessica Barden. And um, I want to point out the people that I really love in the movie, which uh, we have um, John C. Riley and what's his name? What's his name? Where is he? Why is he not higher on the list? Um, Man, okay, it's almost there. I'm almost there. I apologize. Ben Wishaw. Ben Wishaw, who is uh, Q in the last two Bond films. Um, Yes. It is a super dark comedy. Um, it deals with a dystopian society. It's directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who uh, did Dogtooth, which is a film that we've brought up here on the podcast before. Um, Lobster was one of my favorite films from last year. It wasn't in my top five, but it was one of my favorites. Um, I saw it twice in the theater, which uh, only other movie I saw twice in the theater last year was Green Room. Um, but I saw Lobster at the Florida Film Festival last year, which I will be covering in, a, in about a month um, for the the website and the podcast. Um and the lobster was the opening film at the festival, and I went with uh, Brendan, who has done the podcast with us um, on the Movie Club podcast. He's done an episode with Corey and I, and he and I went to the the you know opening night of the film festival to see the lobster, and I just being in that crowd definitely made an even more positive impact of the film because here was a room full of film lovers, and this is a film. There's a lot of artsy elements about it. Um, it's very you know, interesting. The premise, though, the reason why it's called The Lobster is there's a society where you have to be married. If you're not in a relationship, um, you have four, you're sent to a hotel and you have 40 days to find a significant other in that 40 days or you're turned into an animal of your choice. And um, Colin Farrell is our main character. He's recently been uh, divorced by his wife and he has to go to the hotel and um, find another spouse or he'll be turned into an animal of his choice, which he has chosen The Lobster. And there's so many moments. It's played straight. The film is, uh, the whole film is played serious. There's no, there's never a sign of like it being a comedy. It just is. The the way things are, are introduced, there's this whole thing where they're role playing, like why it's better to be in a couple. And they show like um, a man eating dinner alone and he chokes and dies. And then a man eating <laughs> dinner with, with his significant other. And 
Uh, she gets up and does the Heimlich maneuver, and he lives. And then it's a woman walking at night alone, and she gets raped. And then a woman walking, not like they don't actually rape her, but they do pantomime it. And it's it's so freaking twisted. And then um, a woman walking with her other couple, and the rapist doesn't attack because there's a guy there. So like it's little things like that, and the whole it's a satire on commentary on the way we uh, push being in a relationship, and also how people who don't want to be in relationships push like how great single life is and how they're both kind of wrong it's not one is better than the other it's situational and the film plays on that and it it's it's smart it's funny it's twisted there's uh even the ending is ambiguous and it makes you really ponder and wonder what would have what likely happened um it's it's an interesting world that he creates of this you know weird dystopian society where this is the the way it is you're either in a couple or you're hunted as a single person who has to hide in the forest and you know um disguise themselves as a couple when they go out into the the everyday world or else risk being sent to the hotel and turned into an animal and uh even the um the superficial nature that the relationships work like it's not because they have some shared intimate connection it's because oh we both have a limp or oh hey your nose bleeds my nose bleeds uh you know we should be together and it's like this you know superficial you know very much like an e-harmony type of like diagram of <laughs> oh yeah sure you're compatible because you both like this it's like yeah not how it works you know um sometimes it works that way but other times like my wife and i are very different people but we work we work because we want to work um we're happy together despite our differences and we accept our differences and it makes things go very smooth 90 percent of the time so um not that we're perfect i'm just saying it doesn't have to be this uh, this world and uh, and the world the lobster creates it's uh, very funny. There's a lot of very funny situations. And Colin Farrell is on the top of his game in this movie, too. I, I love him in this film. So, um, And like I mentioned earlier, this film is available to stream for free on Amazon Prime right now. Um, so if you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, it was one of my favorites from last year. I, I absolutely loved it. I actually am also planning on rewatching this one um, because I just I just had such a great time. I, I I uh, took a graduate, one of my, my film graduates, um, to go see this when it came to Lakeland. Uh, so I was like, you have to see this movie. It's just, it's brilliant. It's so dark and funny. Um, but yeah, really, really like The Lobster. Yeah, I, I wish I'd seen it earlier. I was glad that it popped up on Amazon Prime because I did finally get to watch it. I'd like to watch it again. I think I'll try to talk my wife into it. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I want my wife to see this. Because it's just very quirky and like you said, you just don't expect uh, <laughs> those little pantomime scenes or where they're what's safe and what's not yeah. and why it is and why it's just, wait a minute. It's just it's so it's preposterous. Very, very much like the uh, 50s. Okay, everybody get under your desk to yeah. protect yourself from the yeah, nuclear, nuclear uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it's just. It seemed out I, of place, but it's like, wait a minute, that's just that's weird. I do want to put a disclaimer um, out there, um, and one of the reasons why I don't want to show my wife is there is a dog in the film, and the dog will die. <laughs> um, thank you for telling everybody. Yeah, I, I feel the need. Um, it, it, if you are anti, you don't see its death, but you do see it dead. And so, um, and also it does die in a very grisly kind of way. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, um, although yet hilarious and not, you know, it's awful. Not. <laughs> it's awful, but it, there is an element of comedy still because of the, the tone that the director has created. It, it's hard to not like laugh at the ridiculousness of the situation of how calm the woman is. And, um, but I, I feel like my wife will be very mad at that scene. And so I may not make her watch it because of that. Um, She'll she'll give me the evil look of why the heck did you make me watch this if you knew there was going to be a dog death? 
So, just a heads up if that if that's something that really bothers you in films, uh, maybe avoid that scene. Um, it's somewhat predictable, um, but and again, it's only on screen for like a half a second, but it is a disturbing image when it shows. But um, all right, that's my number one, the lobster. I Go ahead, am Claire. gonna hop in really fast. Um, I remember when I saw this in theaters, I felt like I was laughing inappropriately because no one else was laughing. But I love <laughs> when the one woman like tries to commit suicide and she jumps out of the second floor oh, window. I know it's so mess. It's it's funny because they <laughs> set it up to be funny though. Like the, it's not funny if that was the if that was just the scene if we just cut to that scene but we had been alluded to that before and then also him complaining about her i hope they do something soon because her whining is bothering me it's like god and again out of context this probably sounds awful that we're laughing at this but the film sets that up to be funny and it's it works that's my favorite scene i laugh so hard that's i think i saw it in the two different times in the theater so i got to judge with the crowds the crowd at the festival laughed almost every single time I laughed and it was like this big room of laughter. And then when I saw it in, at the Lakeland theater, I think two people walked out um, partway uh, through the movie. <laughs> Cause oh my gosh. yeah, they, they, it's, it's a dark, like when you think dark comedy, that's what this film is because again, it doesn't play it like a comedy. It plays it straight and yet it's mm-hmm. satirical in its nature. So people who don't like that type of, you know, they're thinking it's going to be the serious kind of drama and it's not and it's again there's a lot of things like that where we're laughing at someone who's tried to kill themselves but we're not laughing at them we're laughing at the ridiculous world that this is window yeah and like and even more so like because he's trying to impress this woman who has no emotions who's essentially a sociopath um and so he has to pretend that it doesn't bother him or that he's annoyed at her whining rather than his sympathy or empathy (laughs) For a woman who was so desperate to not be turned into an animal, she tried to kill herself by jumping out a second-story window. Um, <laughs> which, even another part why it's funny, she always had biscuits with her, and the biscuits are, like, sprawled out on the ground next to her. Like, it's just... It's so... Ridiculous. Um, and, but again, that's the tone that this film sets up, and that's why it's my number one, really, is I just feel like it embodies what a dark comedy is so well. And... Um, it's it's a movie that I think you will find out something about yourself because if you can't laugh at it, you might need to relax a little bit, not take yourself quite so seriously about this type of stuff because it is it's mocking the world we live in more so than it is making us laugh at the things that happen in the film. Those things are as you know bring out the satirical nature of the film and um, you know for me it just I was you know when I was at the film festival felt very comfortable laughing. In Lakeland, I was very much like, oh, there's a lot of people not laughing at things I laughed at, like, in the theater. <laughs> so, right? So, and I laugh loudly, you know? Yeah. So it, it was a little uncomfortable, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I love it, though. And if, if you're a fan of dark comedies like I am, um, I definitely think this one should be high on your list, and you should check it out on Amazon. Uh, Corey, what's your number one? My number one isn't as good a pick as yours, but it's another movie I've mentioned before. Um, it's 2007's Lars and the Real Girl. Oh, yeah, okay. I like that movie. I love this movie so much. Um, Ryan Gosling in this movie is just fantastic. But um, Lars lives in a small, like, mother-in-law apartment behind his family home. Um, he refuses to live in the family home that they've inherited. And he, we don't really ever get an answer if he... I don't think it is mental illness because he just turns it off so suddenly, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But he begins a romantic 
but not sexual relationship with a real doll that he orders online and makes an extravagant backstory for her. Isn't her name Bianca? I I don't remember, but that sounds right. Okay. And um, she's like this missionary and she's religious and it's just even more funny because it's a real doll. (laughs) But um, I love Emily Mortimer in this movie because she's trying so hard to include him and she's trying and her husband who is Lars's uh, brother just thinks it's all ridiculous and doesn't know why everyone is supporting him I love how the whole town comes together to try to support him even though it's very odd um yeah does he have like is he dealing with grief though is that part of the the reason why he can't talk to people like I because it's not like I don't I definitely don't feel like it was implying that he was crazy as much as he was having like, OK, that's not what I mean. He's definitely crazy, but not as a disorder as much as it seemed like it was something that was brought on by like a trauma. Um, from what I remember, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, so I might be mis- misremembering it. But that's what I thought. And I could be way off. But um, that that totally makes sense because he has like that blanket that his mother made for him when he was a baby yeah and he's really protective over it um but the whole like it being a whole mental illness and that just being it is hard for me to believe because he just you know kills off bianca so he can date margo (laughs) yeah he also he gets very kind of jealous um when the town starts including Bianca in everything, like, in, you know, taking her away from him. <laughs> oh. um, he has a hard time, like, dealing with that, and that's where you see... Man, I remember this movie rather well, considering I think I've only seen it once, but... Um, what? Yeah, it's one I... I, I actually... Uh, one of my old singers um, recommended this film to me, and I was apprehensive to watch it, um, and Kathy and I watched it, and we both really liked it. And, um, I was so shocked. I think I was on an anti-Ryan Gosling at the time because it, um, because of The Notebook, and my kind of um, just refusal to accept that as a good movie. Um, but now, you know, I'm definitely on a different page with him at this point. But at that time, I think I was like, really, Ryan Gosling? I don't know. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, this is not what I expected. Um, no. So, yeah, uh, good pick. I wouldn't have even thought of this as a dark comedy, but it definitely it definitely is. Because um, if it's mental, that, that might be why you brought up mental illness earlier when we were doing the definition, though. Um, cause if it is mental illness, they're definitely picking fun at that. Um, yeah. or yeah. making light of like grief or something. There's uh, it's, something is definitely off with him. I don't know if they, they never clarify what it is for sure. But, no. Um, and the, the, remember, I love Patricia Clarkson and she's in this movie as the doctor and she's like telling them that, you know, it's, I think that she's kind of alluding that it's mental illness. Just go along with him. What? Um, he seems to want to do because Bianca gets sick. So, mm-hmm. all right, um, Mike, have you seen this? Nope, I probably should. Hole in my viewing. It's good. I have it somewhere. I'll let you borrow it. I have to track it down. It's on my shelf in my mass of movies that I got to dig out. But um, it's definitely one you should check out. So, all right, <laughs> um, Mike, that leaves. This is my last chance. I hope I've seen this. Uh, what's your number one? All right, I'm coming. This is the newest one of my bunch, but it's only from 1998. I believe I mentioned it. Um, Todd Solondz has done a bunch. All all his movie catalogs could probably consider dark comedy. Um, this one sticks out to me. Um, let me go to the cast because there's several. Um, John Lovitz is on the cast. Philip Seymour Hoffman was on the cast. 
uh, Jane Adams. Uh, I'm trying to think of those are the top build, but um, oh, Dylan Baker because his particular carrier is just reprehensible. I mean, and actually, I got to forward uh, preface this with it's NC17 for a reason. Oh, this particular one. Uh, it's most of it is just because of the explicit nature of some of what they go through in uh, happiness. It's what it's called. Um, and think of um, when I saw happiness, I, rem- I definitely could think of um, at the end of um, Requiem for a Dream. Ultimately, they kind of discover their own happiness in a certain way, even though it's not a perfect way or a fairy tale ending kind of happiness. And that's very much this particular one. Um, it's the story follows three sisters, Joy, Trish, and Helen. And kind of goes around and follows their lives. It seems kind of mundane. And sometimes the stuff that families go through in their interactions with one another can be can have a very dark tone. Um, if you don't know Todd Sullins, one of his other big ones, and I, I ended up demoting it to the um, honorable mentions, Welcome to the Dollhouse. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one. Mm-mm. I don't think no? so. Okay. Um, so basically it goes with these three different sisters that are going through th- different things in their lives. Um, definitely going through birth order things because the youngest, if I remember, is um, kind of doted on and they kind of patronize her more and they're, because she's the baby and whatnot. And it, you kind of find out about her and she's going through a breakup and the, it doesn't go well. In fact, it goes so poorly that the guy she breaks up with commits suicide. Um, mm. And then it, she's a teacher at a certain thing. There's stuff that goes on that all ties in together as you watch it. Think of like um, not Cronenberg's crash, but the other crash that had all these storylines or Magnolia uh, that have all has all these storylines that tie in together. Very kind of like a web put together. The other one, the one sister, and this is where the one character um, is, you know, she claims to be happily married. She's got this uh, kind of image that she maintains. I don't know that she truly, until he is caught, realizes that her husband is is basically a pedophile. And so much so that the stuff he ends up doing and eventually does come to justice. Uh, but he, he and his son have, think of... Um, in Captain Fantastic, where he talks very, that dad talks very frankly when it comes to something sexual in nature. Um, that's how he is, despite being a pedophile with his son. And they have these very frank, very tough conversations. And again, it's not played for laughs. And that's the irony of it. You know, the movie is called Happiness. Um, it's just, I, don't, I, I can't fully. Because again, this one is you. If you are in, into that director and into these storylines, um, then you this will affect you, and it did affect me. I mean, the last one is the oldest, who plays an author, and she wants her fantasy where she wants to be happy in is where she is assaulted, and I'm talking, you know, and yeah, basically she wants to be attacked and and, and violated, and it's just you know it takes it's again it's just. It goes really dark, and I mean, that's this is what he does. Um, Welcome to the Dollhouse is, is just as t- a difficult to watch as this is, and it's been a long time. I don't know where you would be able to watch this 
because then it also shifts uh, part of it to uh, the parents, uh, the sister's parents, and kind of, again, with that air of happiness, but not necessarily, and then kind of them finding out more about themselves, especially the father. Um, I don't know if there's some issues there, just that's how he's written, but it, uh, there's definitely some very deep flaws within almost every single one of these characters, and even um, even the son, the son of the pedophile, um, is, is pretty young, uh, I would say middle school age, and then the stuff he's fixated on is definitely middle school age things, um, but it, it's just awkward to see. It's very odd to see on screen because, you know, again, the age, think of how awkward you feel when we talked about uh, Ghost World, Enid, and Seymour, kind of that, but even to the next level. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's on Prime. Uh, it looks like it's only purchasable on actual discs. It may not be digital. Very dark is an understatement. And this one just, for me, when I think of something that it's it's hitting those subject matter uh, the subject matter that is tough to talk about and you don't hear a whole lot about and it's like okay and you're not quite sure how you know it's 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 very uncomfortable and that's why it, it bumped all the rest and hit my number one spot well i have not seen it so i failed um you know i didn't make the two that i thought i might have made um this one i i do want to see i'm a big philip seymour hoffman fan um, so I am trying to work my way through his movies. Some of his movies are tough to watch. Uh, this one sounds like it is, and yet I I do want to check this one out. Um, you know, again, haven't seen it, but I want to. Corey, have you? I have not seen this one either, so I win. You do, you do. You had the one. Um, <laughs> I've heard of this movie, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's it's well, one. It's, uh, it's it's a tough one. Um, let's see, he's got. 14 in his catalog. He, uh, Don Wiener is the main character in Welcome to the Dollhouse. I don't think there's any reference to her and happiness, but there's uh, definitely um, references into on some of her other his other films. Palindromes is another, and then there's one called Wiener Dog that brings back the Don Wiener character in a sense. It's uh, that one's that one made my honorable mention list. Um, because it, it's it deals with this poor child kind of going through the middle school age and um, but happiness it was even I felt trumped welcome to the dollhouse all right that's Mike's number one that is our top five we're gonna do a uh, quick honorable mentions and then we will wrap up um, we have run a little long on this episode we're almost at two hours uh, so Ooh. um and you if you're watching Walking Dead Mike you have you've missed the start time so um, That's all right. I'm, I'm two weeks behind. I am four weeks behind, so I win. But um, oh man, I think it's four. Maybe it's three. I don't know. Since the uh, the trash people, I've stopped watching. Um, <laughs> on my uh, honorable mentions, um, Seven Psychopaths, which I am a huge Sam Rockwell fan, and uh, he it's also got Colin Farrell, so another uh, and Christopher Walken. It is so weird and funny and dark and just it's just great. Um. I've only seen it once though, and that's why I didn't put it on my actual list. Um, I didn't, I couldn't tell if it's a film that I would think is that good, but it's definitely. I remember when I watched it, I was very, very in, uh, enthralled, and it's particularly with Sam Rockwell's character, um, Barton Fink, which is uh, the Coen Brothers, I think, second or third film. Um, it is good one, good one. I love that movie. Um, I already mentioned God Bless America. 
And I'm going to wrap it up with two. Uh, Bernie, which is a Richard Linklater film that's based on a true story uh, starring Jack Black, uh, Matthew McConaughey, and oh, I'm forgetting. Yeah, yeah. But um, he is a funeral director, and he's this all-around good guy. And then he, there's a dark twist in the film. Um, and it's you, it's weird because you feel sympathetic towards him. Yeah, it's a real this guy really did this thing and it's crazy and it's uh I kinda came across it on accident. It was on Netflix. Um and then uh Bad Words. Um Bad Words is Jason Bateman's directorial debut <laughs> um from twenty thirteen and he is a um it's one I I wasn't sure if it really qualifies as a dark comedy. Um it's definitely a blue comedy. There's a lot of cursing and a lot of the funny parts are this kid learning to be a bad person through uh Jason Bateman's character. Um, but it is, there is some, some themes that probably qualify as dark, um, but it's not nearly as dark as some of the other movies that we talked about. And that's why I wasn't sure if it really meets the criteria to be on the list, but if it does, um, or if it, even if it doesn't, I'd like to mention it because I don't feel like enough people saw it and it's really, really funny. Again, it is vulgar. There's a lot of cursing. Um, there's a lot of things that are definitely inappropriate. Uh, he buys the kid a prostitute. Um, I think just to look at her boobs. But still, uh, that's not something you would ever want to recommend anybody ever do. And that's definitely implied. This guy is not making good decisions. That's never in any way what you're supposed to take away from the movie. Like, you shouldn't be doing what this guy is doing. But it's still very entertaining. So um, I wanted to mention it. If you skipped it, um, I'm a Jason Bateman fan. I think he's at his best in this movie. Um, His really biting kind of uh, snarky comedy comes out really well. Um, Also has uh, a regular for him. Um, I cannot think of her name. I always forget her name. She's in Saturday Night Live, and she was in. Uh, she was. She played the mom in the flashback scenes in the Fantastic. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the Family Fang, which was Jason D- Bateman's second directorial film. Um, and yeah, I can. I never remember her name. She's also in um, Step Brothers too. She's the uh, Adam Scott's wife in that movie. But she's really funny, and she's really. She has. She plays like a reporter. Um, who's curious because this guy, if you don't know what bad words is, he's a grown man who uses a loophole to enter a kid's spelling bee um, as as an adult and competing at like a top level. Like he's doing really well. Um, he's at the, I think the national tournament. So um, it's funny. It's, it's inappropriate. And there you go. Uh, Corey, what are your honorable mentions? Well, I have to give a shout out to my girl Wednesday Adams. So uh, yeah. the Adams family, <laughs> um, Wilson that I, that just recently came out. Clue and Lonesome Jim. And Mike? Um, I put American Psycho. Uh, nice. The R- Rules of Attraction, another Brett Easton Ellis. You know that? Film. And it is a. Uh, he's his brother, Patrick Bateman's yes. brother in that movie. Yep. Yep. His younger brother, I believe. Uh, Fargo, um, Train Spotting. Yeah. It's not. Um, um, and I already mentioned uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. I debated because I watched it again, uh, I think earlier this morning. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah, uh, I don't, I debated on that one. I like that one a lot, but um, I don't know. For horror comedy, feels different, and that's like Housebound mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, was one of my favorite movies I saw last year, and I even feel like that one's more of a dark comedy than like Tucker and Dale because Tucker and Dale deals with like crazy stuff happening. Um, not as much as I thought from the title. Like I would have thought it would be more supernatural than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, and like Evil Dead Two uh, could easily be on this list and probably should be. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what we say at this point in the podcast. If we missed anything and you want to call us out on it, do so. We'd love to hear your top five list. What are your top five dark comedies? Um, we purposely left off some of the the bigger ones. Like Pulp Fiction is considered a dark comedy. All of us love that movie. We've talked about it before. 
Um, it could have probably been on any one of our lists, but that's not the point of this. Uh, it, it's one, these are personal favorites, and there's, I think, a part of its interpretation. I saw Fight Club on several lists high up as a dark comedy. I've never looked at that film as a comedy, so I didn't, I never thought about it. Um, not that I don't laugh at the, at certain moments in the film, but I really am enthralled with the story in that in that particular film. Never looked at it as a comedy, so I, it never even crossed my mind until I saw it on someone else's list. So it'd be weird for me to include it. Like, yeah, sure, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Even though I'm starting to question that because film film people make me feel inadequate by liking that movie, um, as it gets hated on by a lot of people. But <laughs> um, like, it, it's definitely um, you know I can see why it would be a dark comedy, but we left that off. So. We'd love to hear your list or, or you know, point out anything else that we may have missed. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Burke Reviews. Corey? I'm at Corey R-Star, two R's on the end. And Mikey? And I'm at Server Monkey. Or you can email us um, at John Burke uh, at BurkeReviews.com. You can also hit us up on SoundCloud where our podcasts are posted. You can leave a comment there or leave a comment on our website. Any way you want to communicate with us, join us on our Facebook group. However you feel uh, the best way to let us know your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode of Top 5 Movies. We hope you enjoy it. Please share this with your friends. Tell them to listen to us. Uh, Mike and I are going to be at the Star Wars Celebration in Orlando, Florida um, on April uh, 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th, which is Easter. Um, And we'll be passing out some Burke Review stickers. So if you uh, are at the festival or the celebration, you want to get a sticker from us um, to help display, help us promote the website and, and everything we do on the website, we would be glad to give you one. So Look for us uh, at the Star Wars Celebration, and I will be a frequent guest at the Florida Film Fest, where I'll also be passing out stickers and and business cards. So um, help spread the word. Tell people about the podcast. We appreciate everybody that listens. Thank you again, guys. I will see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Peace.